Hello and welcome to another episode of the Uncommon Energy Podcast. On this week's episode, we got plenty to talk about. We're going to be discussing, of course, Azul winning his sixth ever regional championships this past weekend in San Antonio. Round of applause and congratulations <laughs> to my co-host here. Um, then we're going to be discussing what it takes to leave a legacy in the game. We're going to talk about that a little bit in regards to Azul's finishes over his career and just other players who we feel have left a legacy because uh, that's a discussion that we've seen going on ever since Azul's win. We will, of course, have everyone's favorite segment, Guess That Flavor Text. And then we're going to close out the episode by recapping everything else that went down at San Antonio Regionals, the rest of the meta, how things shaped up, the unexpected decks. There was definitely some interesting things in day two and how we feel the meta will adjust and shift moving forward. Portland is going to be here before you know it. And then, of course, we're going to have the bonus episode over on our Patreon. If you want to support us a little bit extra, be sure to do it over on the Patreon to get a 30-minute bonus episode from us every single week, patreon.com slash Uncommon Energy Podcast. My name is Chip Ritchie, joined here, as always, by my friend and co-host, coming off his sixth regionals win, Azul GG. What's up, Azul? How we doing? How does it feel? What's up, Chip? Uh, yeah, doing pretty good. Of course, got the dub this weekend, which feels great. Good to get a dub. Um, I was just like thinking we were talking about because one thing we like forget sometimes is this is just on my mind right now. So that's why I'm talking about it. We talk, we forget some. We always remember North American tournaments. We sometimes slack a little bit with the other regions. I'm not gonna lie. We've been better about it this season. Uh, but it's easier than ever. We could have just gone over to PTCG Legends tournaments, upcoming tournaments, and you get like the full breakdown of literally all the upcoming tournaments so the next major tournament yeah portland's like a couple weeks away but actually this weekend there's a champions league uh champions league kyoto oh yeah sure, um, sure. i i almost uh, don't even really think about that like those just when i see the results from those that's like cool and they just happen you know but like i don't yeah, really yeah. think about our meta impacting their meta to be honest that often but i guess it does you know especially their best players are kind of like in tune with what's doing well over here but I wasn't too concerned with like the, what happens in Japan. More so, like sometimes we forget like a European event or like a, uh, you know, something. It's in been a while since we forgot a European event. We've been doing, yeah, of course, good. of course. Yeah, but we but definitely like, did. This, we're like, <laughs> it's happened. We're like, is Portland the next major tournament happening in like the TPCI sphere? And the answer to that is yes. And that's what we concern ourselves with the most. Of course, yeah, Japan's a little bit more disconnected. Um, you know, we have no discussions with any of the players over there. Although it does seem like it is becoming a little bit more, um. I don't know, international as far as that goes as well. So as far as like Japanese players working with uh, players outside of Japan, and you have like players like Haru and stuff showing up to most of the ICs and even some of the, I mean, Haru just got like second at Brisbane, right? So yeah, yeah, the Japanese players are starting to uh, branch out a little bit more as well. But yeah, I was like, okay, what's after that? Yeah, so Portland, Charlotte, Liverpool, all those are coming up in january but like i was like going to the regional page and then clicking on looking at all the other different sections on the regional page when i could have just gone to ptcg legends uh and it's all right there yeah it's just all right there yeah and you can see all and even see the tournaments coming up in japan as well so i was like oh yeah there's this coming up this next weekend Um, i actually like cleared my uh my uh coaching schedule for the champions league so i'm gonna be restreaming that live restreaming live is so much more enjoyable than like restreaming the vod i still like doing the vod reviews but like yeah i'm excited to actually restream the uh, the champions league live i'm actually excited for that later this week um but yeah good week overall for me i mean like i said, we i won the tournament like chip mentioned um which is pretty cool and uh i mean that was about it uh san antonio another major tournament it was a good event overall how was the uh the casting experience chip how was the the cookies 
<laughs> the cookies, right? Yeah. No, the event was awesome. Honestly, we saw some incredible games on stream, even like in day one. Usually like day one, we kind of see some silly things happen, some one-sided matchups. <laughs> like you can tell who the better player is, but really we saw some really, really good games um on stream in day one and then day two like i mean especially finals and stuff like that super back and forth like um man it was such an exciting tournament to be able to broadcast so i'm glad i got to be a part of it we did do the cookie decorating i did get a little bit scammed if anyone doesn't know <laughs> uh the casters all decorated a cookie mine was definitely the best by the way definitely but for some yeah, reason was, Twitch uh... chat just loves to vote for whatever the ugliest choice is. <laughs> so next time I know my strategy, you know, I'm just going to put like no effort in and it's going to be like, oh, haha, bad cookie. That's obviously best. And then I'll truly be the one who wins. So, well, I think it has also to do with popularity, right? Rowlet was by is a very popular Pokemon. Like, I think Rowlet's like top. It feels pretty popular too, bro. Not that's not even close. It's, Did you see the cookies? You saw, I showed them to you. Yeah. 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 I was about to say, you were complaining about this at dinner uh, <laughs> on Sunday. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> your spiel looks so okay, much better than everyone else's. Is a strong word. Okay, you were a little peeved. Your <laughs> your spiel looks so much better than everyone else's. And I think, to be honest, I think your spiel was probably the best, like truest to the character or whatever. But I mean, one of them was a Pokeball, so that just feels a little bit lazy to be honest. I forget who the Pokeball was. <laughs> it was Jeremy. I think that's a little bit a little bit lazy there, Jeremy, doing a Pokeball on a round cookie. Uh, <laughs> the Rowlet kind of fits it because the round cookie, Rowlet, uh, yeah, Rowlet's a really popular Pokemon. I don't think it feels even close. Like Rowlet even might be like top ten. Um, actually, like reminds me, someone did like a a poll on Reddit at one point for the top ten most popular Pokemon. Uh, I think Gengar was actually the most popular. It was like Gengar, Charizard, you know, some classics. But Rowlet's definitely popular. Pokemon officially has done those polls in the past. Oh, really? Uh, like in Japan, though. So I don't know. It's a little different. But for anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about, here's Ethan Hegster's cookie that he made. The the, the super cursed Rowlet that <laughs> did get a bite taken out of it. Was that any good? Not at liberty to say who did or didn't do it. It was me. I did it. Okay. And, were the cookies uh, any good? Or were they? It actually was not. A bad cookie. It was not a bad cookie, <laughs> I will admit. They weren't meant for eating, of course. They were meant for decorating, so you never really know. I mean, it might have just been the like sugar rush from the icing, to be honest, because it was like legit decorating icing and stuff like that. Uh, it was not that bad, not that bad. For something that had been sitting <laughs> out like literally all day as well, <laughs> out on a table. Um, but yeah, before we get into our topics this week, one other thing we did have an announcement to make. Uh, those of you who've been Listening to the podcast for a while, know that we are very thankful for our sponsor, Dragon Shield. And we do now have a official discount code. So if you ever buy or use Dragon Shield products, if you buy them on your website, on their website, and use the code UEPOD, you can get 5% off, and it also supports us. So if you're planning on picking up some new sleeves for 2024 for the upcoming regionals, be sure to check out the link in our description and then you can use that code UEPOD, that's U-E-P-O-D, uh, for 5% off your order as well. Just yeah. letting everyone know. With all that being Shoot. said, we can get into the rest right. of our episode. <laughs> Starting off with, of course, Azul's victory. One more round of applause. Congratulations, <laughs> Azul. I know it must feel great. Um, but you've won so many of these dang things. Does it ever uh, lose its magic, you know? Like, is it ever got... I feel like 
a lot of people like the dream is to win a regional championships because that cements you as like you know a strong pokemon player you know what you're doing right and as someone like you who's done it so much does it ever kind of lose that flair um i mean i guess definitely a little bit um i think my earlier wins mattered more i think maybe the the one that mattered the like the most to me in terms of like that feeling was probably like the Uvatal garb one because like the first regional i won like i didn't even know what was going on man like <laughs> like i knew it was a tournament and yeah when i won my first regional in 2010 i was like i knew it was a bigger pokemon tournament like a region level tournament you would have been um, what like 16 years old right yeah 15 16 um and i was just like you know showed up with my favorite deck the deck i had played all season which was shuppet and then i won the thing uh, the meta kind of lined up perfectly for for my deck and a lot of the best players lost in in top eight and top four so when i got to the finals uh played against a very good player uh at the time but uh they were playing a really bad matchup for for them or it was a really good matchup for me i should say so mm -hmm. um yeah i don't know uh yeah i think it's maybe like the second one that i won that uh the hardest i guess over the uh over the years or f i felt it the most i guess is the way to put it um but yeah another, another one feels good but like for me it's always just kind of like the next i'm always looking forward to the next tournament win um and especially like now like i say this a lot in like my interviews and stuff more so for me now it's like more so i just want the team to do well like you know i, I like i feel like i should be putting myself in a spot where i can uh compete for top eights at these major tournaments pretty consistently um but you know if i don't win like i even said this in one of the the post interviews if i don't win another major tournament ever again but someone on my team is winning you know i'd be fine with that you know like if i never win another major tournament ever again but you know i hopefully i'm getting some top eight in there top eights in there or competing yeah, for yeah. top eight or there's something probably really wrong with my play and i need to improve really work on my play um but you know once you like the top eight i feel like is kind of the goal um or to like lose your winning in or to be close to that um and then pass that like, for top eight all the way to yeah the and then if you just like hit a really good you know you hit another really good player in top eight you lose even if it's like a favorite slightly favorable matchup favorable matchup uh unfavorable matchup whatever or you just hit a bad matchup in top eight you know that's kind of the end of your run but like I, I feel like the top eight you know you can take some losses up to top eight so once you get to top eight it's kind of like all right we'll see where it goes from there but like that's kind of like the goal each term is to feel like you're competing for the uh the top eight so as long as i do that for the rest of my career like that's like fine with me like i said i'm hoping i'm getting quite a few more top eights as long as i am competing um, but if I don't ever win again, at the very least, if I'm still working with a group, working with a team, someone on the team better be winning or we're doing something wrong. And then I should be the one who's at least winning if no one else is like someone on our team should be winning. We we have, should hopefully have enough people um, with the main si the same mindset, playing the same 60, whatever, competing that one of us should be getting close. We should be taking like a couple couple major dubs a year, a season, at least. That's, that should at least be the goal. For sure. So, I mean, this sixth regional win puts you tied for second place in the like regional win category you know we always talk about michael pramwatt he's won seven regional championships ryan sablehouse had won six so it was him uh it was pramwatt then sablehouse and then you and a couple other people at five i think danny is at five i'm pretty sure ian rob I think is at danny five. actually might be at six with oh Sable danny House. might be at six as well okay yeah i think so that actually that does sound right now that you say that so uh but now that you get there you know you're at six as well do you feel any i mean i get what you just said you don't really care about getting wins as much as long as someone is doing well but i mean you don't feel any drive to like you know tie pram you know eventually pass pram is the winningest regional championship player or anything like that 
Not really. And more so because I just don't value regionals that highly, like in comparison to like international championships. Like they're, they're, to me, there's all major tournaments, right? But if I had to pick to win like zero regionals, but some ICs or some ICs or some regionals with zero ICs, I'd always pick winning ICs. Like one, you'd rather win one more IC than win three regionals? Probably. Yeah. I think at a ratio of like one to three, I'd probably take the ICs over the, the regionals. Because um, at the end of the day, they're basically all major tournaments. I do think ICs, I don't know, it's kind of tough to compare them now. They're like, they're so close in terms of like the uh, regionals are getting more, uh, more international. Actually, San Antonio feels like there was like no European players at yep. San Antonio, which is Christian actually kind of interesting. And that was just about it, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was just Christian, I guess. Uh, as like, as far as I'm sure there was other European players there, but yeah, none that yeah, I know. Yeah. You know, we, I don't, we didn't have any like big standout names, um, like Tord or anything coming over. I can remember um, no Australians as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess that's like one thing. It was it well, this one felt less international than 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 like basically every other tournament that I've been to this year, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're all just kind of major tournaments to me. At the end of the day, uh, regionals, ICs. I would, I would rather win more ICs than regionals for the rest of my career. Or if I win zero regionals, but some ICs, still so like I'm fine. Like, I don't really like think about it in those terms. Yeah, I'm not really trying to like not too concerned with like trying to tie pram with most regional wins or pass pram. It's like, I'm trying to win more tournaments, major tournaments. And to me, like I season regionals are kind of all both major tournaments. Uh, I guess you kind of want to put worlds in a category of its own. I don't think you just kind of want to tie it in as another major tournament, to be honest. Like mm-hmm. I feel like separating worlds, make, making it worth like making it, making it be a little bit more separate, I think is seems correct. Like you want it to be, it is the biggest tournament of the year and should be held to a higher standard. So there should be like major tournaments, regionals and ICs, and then, then worlds, of course. Um, but maybe they should be categorized differently. Maybe, maybe ICs should be held to that much higher of a standard. It just feels, they feel very similar overall, like I said, especially with how international these tournaments are becoming. Like I said, San Antonio kind of stands out as not being as international as a, of a major tournament this year or some of the other ones for sure. But without international, even the regionals are becoming, they feel pretty similar to the high ICs at this point to me, to be honest personally so one other thing i wanted to talk about was the difficulty of your regional victories over the years because the game has changed a lot since 2010 when you won your first regionals your mindset on the game has changed a lot since 2010 when you won your first regionals just like the the skill in the game in general the number of players at the tournaments and stuff like that all these things kind of have an impact on how difficult any one specific event would be um so yeah, we went through here. We listed out. We've got a list of all your regional wins and your IC wins. I'm just going to read them off what deck you played. And then maybe give me, like, I don't know, the two most difficult. Or maybe should we do, like, the two you're most proud of? And then the two that you felt like, you know, were it maybe a little bit easier to achieve or a little lower in your terms as far as, like, how difficult it was for you to, to find the victory there. All right. So... Your first one, just going in chronological order, 2010 New England Regionals, you played Shuppet. 2017 Orlando Regionals, Evil Tall Garboder. 2017 Toronto Regionals. This 2017 season, by the way, was the first year that you got money for winning a Regionals. You got $5,000 for first yeah. place. So you got that Orlando. You got Toronto Regionals. You played Lorantis Vileplume. Ran through a couple of Groudons, I think, on your way to that win. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 2018 San Diego Regionals, you played Night March Zoark. 2020 Atlantic City, you played Mewtwo. And then 2023 this year, or I guess 2024, actually, 
dang it took you four seasons buddy come on now i guess there was a few we missed but <laughs> yeah, we did san antonio regionals you um won with charizard then for ic's you won 2022 naic with arceus flying pikachu 2023 you won ocic with lost box and then for an online tournament a little cherry on top i guess you did win players cup three with rapid strike urshifu so that's another kind of thing to think about here like do the players cup tournaments count as majors as well in your mind i mean we haven't had anything since then i don't know if we ever will have another big online open field event but i mean all the best players for the most part played in those tournaments still yeah and it was like very international as well it was like the best players across the board i don't know it's kind of tough to say in general i would say people weren't trying I don't know. It's hard to people say. Though. Maybe I don't took know it a little were... less seriously for the online tournaments. It's hard for me to judge it because I didn't take it any more or less serious than I take other tournaments because I just did, was doing the same things. I was streaming like all I do right now is I stream Pokemon and make YouTube videos about Pokemon, but I don't do any try hard testing. And when we were in COVID with the Players Cups, I streamed Pokemon and made YouTube videos about Pokemon. So there was, there's no way for me to gauge how much more I cared about the Players Cups compared to other tournaments because I was doing the exact same thing. So I don't know how much other people cared. Um, but I think there was still a decent amount of effort put in from a majority of players. There was still a decent amount on the line. Um, and it was the only thing to play for as well. So I think there was still probably a decent amount of effort in put in from the, you know, the majority of players competing. And it was like, yeah, it was all the best players in each region for the most part was playing. Uh, maybe not quite everyone. I'm sure some people took a, a, some very good players took a break over COVID, but there was still a decent amount. And it was, it was, it was all regions combined at the end of it all. So you did have like a very, very strong players from each region showing up at the end, right? Sure. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. It's pretty close. It's tough to call. Um, it is online, so I'm sure people will dock it for that. But they're pretty tough to win. They're also, like, the longest tournaments. They're, like, longer than a... The amount of games yeah, you, you had to, to qualify to, to even play in it, right? Yeah, the, qual the qualification was pretty easy. You had to right, qualify. Right. You had to play it's through the bracket. another level to it. Like, anyone who was playing in it had to put in the work to be there to play it right yeah two double elimination brackets um there's like the big one and then if you got far enough you got invited to the smaller one whatever i don't know it's close definitely close um to call it if it's whether or not it's considered like a major tournament it doesn't feel like one of those things where it's like um you know it definitely isn't like added to the what do people say like say when you like win winning everything you know win everything or like in sports being like the mvp and then you know collecting all the like possible achievements round. Yeah, like it, that kind of came up recently with like the Lakers winning the the first in season tournament and another thing that LeBron has won. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, you can't really count the Players Cup as one of those things because it was such a sh so short lived. It's not really an opportunity for many players to actually compete to win one. But it's pretty cool to win one, that's for sure. The same thing um, could be said about OCIC now, though, right? Because it's not happening anymore. So like yeah. now, there's only so many people that ever even have a chance to tie towards you know winning all four ICs, right? Yeah, but that one that's like kind of like a little bit more of a, a little bit more I think winning an IC, you could kind of chalk that's what most players' goals is maybe going to be if they're trying to do everything, right? Winning an winning a regional, winning an IC. I think winning an IC is a good place to start. It's gonna be pretty hard to win. <laughs> and yeah. as the game gets bigger and, and more competitive, win more. Yeah, yeah. winning multiple ICs, winning the, the current three ICs, you could still win. It's gonna be pretty difficult. Um but yeah, very few people could actually get like the, the all four at this point. So back to the original question, though, about maybe which two do you think mean the most to you or were the most difficult? Or the, I guess most... or is the answer for those two questions different? It's definitely different, I think, because like I said, I think the Yvetal Garb, like I mentioned, I think Yvetal Garb 
means the um, most. And NAIC, I think, probably mean the most. Sure. Because it was definitely like <clears throat> post-COVID and then going through the first couple of events post-COVID and going into NAIC, I had some pretty bad results. And I was kind of like questioning, like, how good am I actually at Pokemon at this point? <laughs> you know, because like we hadn't really had that many events for a while. And it's like we came back and it's like, is everyone just better than me? Or is it you had a pretty bad streak there at the start? Yeah. Of the playing field. Yeah. Has the playing field just kind of leveled out and it's just like my behind? Um, then NAIC happened, so yeah, I would say like Yvetal, the Yvetal Garbwin in Orlando and NAIC stand out as the two that kind of mean the most to me. Um, but I guess the ones that were like hardest uh, or more difficult would have to be it's kind of it's kind of weird because like I can look at some of them and I can look at Yvetal, the Yvetal Garb year and the Atlantic City year. I just had the best deck, I had the my deck was just better than everyone's, so like it was. Those were pretty straightforward. Um, you didn't feel like you had to face like adversity to get the victory. No, right? like those ones. Are, yeah, I just I just had the best deck. Like sure. <laughs> it wasn't even you would tell Garbier like wasn't even close. My deck was like so much better than everyone else's. It was insane. Uh, the Mewtwo year, people knew about Mewtwo, but my list was just better. So yeah, the um, four to Dene, buddy. Four to Dene. Uh, I the only I only made one change between that and Knoxville was cut a Poke Gear for the fourth. The fourth Acrobat was definitely better than the fourth Poke Gear, but I had to play a whole <laughs> tournament to discover that for Knoxville. I guess like part um, of the reason this question comes up is because like uh you know san antonio was the largest regionals of all time you know does that like does yeah. the tournament size add to something being more difficult not i mean i guess overall the bigger tournaments are harder to win um but some aspects of it are easier like it's easier to make day two because the average player skill level is going to be lower in like day, throughout day one and even maybe the beginning of day two depending on what you come in at um but overall like getting top eight in the tournament is going to be more difficult Mm -hmm. um, you might play against easier opponents, but getting that extra round one, I think, uh, is a little bit more difficult. And as you're fighting your way towards the top, there's a bunch of other great players fighting their way towards the top as well, right? So, yeah, like, the bigger the tournament is, the harder it is, but only up to a certain point, right? There's, like, breaking points, which is basically, like, how many points do you need to make top cut? Um, so if you have, I don't know, 1,200 players, and you need 35 points to make top cut, and you have 1,500 players, and you still only need 35 points to make top eight, then it's kind of like the same thing, even though there's 300 more players, Right. So it's not just, oh, bigger is that much harder. At that point, it just kind of comes down to who you play against. And you could even make an argument, the smaller tournaments, as long as it's the same amount of match points to make top cut, are going to be harder because the higher chance you play against better players, right? Because there's more good players traveling to these events, right? So the it's kind of like the bigger the event, you know, the bigger the event, there's going to be more average players, right? Um, but even some of these smaller regionals, something like a Knoxville with 1,200 players, there's gonna you're gonna be more likely to hit one of the, a better player right throughout the tournament, especially if you're like making a, a little more competitive of a field. Yeah, definitely. So hardest, like looking back on it, giving it one more thought. I don't know, like a, yeah, looking at them, uh, probably the OCIC and OCIC, and then maybe and I don't know because like it's when I look at like the Night March Zoroark and the Lorantis Plume wins as well. Those ones I also felt like I had just the. The Nightmarch Zorok, not so much, though, to be honest. That deck was, like, fine. If I'm remembering uh, cool. back to that San Diego, the Nightmarch Zorok, didn't you only make day two because of a paralysis flip? Yeah, multiple. Yeah, I played multiple? A, against... Yeah. <laughs> Holy <laughs> was cow. The, on the winning in against Toad Bats, which is generally a pretty bad matchup. Toad Bats wasn't even a deck. I don't even know how I, how, yeah, how I was playing that, against Toad yeah. Bats. Yeah, it was not a deck. <laughs> um... Which is a pretty bad matchup for Nightmarch. A little bit better when you have Zork because it doesn't just get quicking punched, KO'd. Um, but 
because you're playing Zorak, you also get to play the Paralyzing Gaze Zerua. Yeah, I hit heads on Paralyzing Gaze, and then they hit heads on Super Scoop Up, and then I hit heads on Paralyzing Gaze, and then I got a turn of items, and then I start to make a comeback from there. Um, it's pretty so sick. One, you know, thinking yeah. about it, like, I was saying this after this weekend as well when we were at dinner, like, so much has to go your way to win to like be the one who wins, not necessarily to like top eight, like you can top eight just by being one of the best players, but like to actually come away with the win, like so much has to go your way. And we'll talk about the finals match, I guess a little bit later, but uh, yeah. I felt like that was probably true this weekend too. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it's true for any win. Like, well, it's like you say that, but then it's like, I don't know. I like, I, I just, you're don't putting your, you're the like one that. who's putting yourself in the position to, like, yeah, yeah. to make it never... happen, obviously, but yeah. I, never, I mean, like, if you lose the 50-50 on the, the Zerua, like, you just lose the game, right? Yeah, sure. But, like, I don't know. It's like, yeah, you put yourself in that position to get there to be able to take advantage of that. Um, And a lot of times you're coming out on top because your opponent's misplaying more so than you getting lucky, right? Uh, up until, like, a certain point where you hit, like, a player who also plays well. So, I don't know. It's like it's just like a, a it's just like a in my opinion like thinking about it it's just irrelevant to think about like it just doesn't matter either you get it or you don't if you get it take advantage of it if you don't do what you can uh, and then just see how the game plays out from there let's see what happens after that right um, but whether or not it happens doesn't really doesn't really matter um, but yeah, I think I like looking at these for like the hardest two uh, the the ones that were the hardest was probably. Uh, the lost box OCIC in the Players Cup. If we're adding the the Players Cup there and the ones to choose from with the Urshifu, um, probably the two down... hardest decks to play of these as well. I would say, right? Yeah, probably. I don't. Know, you've thought well. You've thought Garp only got hard when more people were playing the deck because the mirror. Yeah, stuff. but nobody, if I'm remembering right, not a lot of people were playing it at that Orlando Regionals. It hadn't kind of become the best deck of that format yet, or like no, the most. Were playing, played... you, no one played it with Garb. People were like playing. Oh, right, right, right. Like... People were playing Mewtwo Garb, right? There was that, yeah. And also Darkrai or Tina Garb. But that was just, yeah. But yeah, Evil Tall Garb was just like superior. Um, so it eventually became the best deck in the format. But yeah, I would say those two. Those two probably stand out as like the the ones that were like hardest to win. Yeah, I guess they are like the two hardest decks probably to play here too. So with this victory, I mean, I did see a few comparisons on Twitter uh, to Tord. You know, I think a lot of people just think of Tord instantly as the best player of the modern era, right? You know, there's always yeah. that discussion of the best of all time between Tord and Jason. Jason Klasinski, of course, having won three world championships. Tord having won four internationals. You know, I mean, he's had like the crazy success at internationals. He's won multiple regionals now at this point. Um, but like your consistency is... Uh, I mean, like you have... I think toward where I was looking at it on limitless or talking about it um, with someone toward has on limitless 12 regional top eights and then 12 international top eights, the 12 international top eights is nuts. Right. And then of course yeah. he's got <laughs> two, two worlds top eights as well. And if we mm -hmm. look at your name, you have 21 regional top eights. I don't think anyone's even close to 21 regional top eights. And that includes five wins in the cash era. Of course, you're one in 2010, not accounted for here on limitless and then five international top cuts. Um, do you feel like your name should be in that discussion more often uh, for like the modern best player in the game, like the current best player? Uh, I mean, based on achievements and like what people you can see, probably not. And I think like, 
Um, I don't put in the same amount of, of, of work as Tor does as well. Um, for like the, the quality of practice that Tord probably puts in. So, um, like maybe I could be competing with Tord if I, if I put that forth, um, or maybe I am like where I'm at is like kind of where I would be anyway. So maybe putting the extra time wouldn't make a big difference for me in terms of results. But no, I think, I think it's like fair to put Tord as the best player in the game right now and like modern era for sure. And I don't think it's like really, com- like, I don't think it really needs to be a discussion about it. Like, um, I'm a good player. Um, obviously like compared to, the achievements of most players like i stand out above them but yeah, i think it's like pretty clear cut that tort is tort should be given the title of like best player uh, in the modern era and then like you, the only real discussion to have is like best player of all time or jason um i've kind of gone back and forth on that myself but i mean it's, it's like a, it's a, still a cool it's cool that we can have that discussion in the pokemon tcg still like it, I, like it's a very good thing to like have that people actually care about that kind of stuff so the fact that people care about having the discussion about Tord versus jason being the best player in the game um it's pretty cool, right? It's like LeBron versus. There's uh, enough fans of the game for that discussion. To yeah, matter, exactly, you know? right? Yeah, like yeah. it's like the Michael. Uh, George, or, I, I have to imagine back LeBron in like 2006, Jordan. 2008, like you know, whenever Jason was winning world championships, people were just kind of playing Pokemon. You know, <laughs> it was like, oh, cool, there's a new world champion. Oh, Jason won it again. Okay, yeah, I guess he's the best. Sure. Yeah. You know, but now yeah. there's like the discussions. Yeah, yeah, the game is so big, and we actually have some history for people to like look back on and discuss, to have a, a talks and opinions. I think it's like a good thing to have in the game, um, and as long as players aren't like people aren't like toxic about it, which I, there are going to be people who are kind of toxic with that those kind of things, and you see it like all the time in sports as well. Like, yeah. Someone, someone like Jeez. mentions <laughs> that's not what we need in in DCG. Like, someone will mention like anything about LeBron James, and someone will immediately like they're not even like comparing LeBron to jordan and there'll be immediately someone being like yeah but jordan did this right or yeah but lebron did this right like they're not even doing a comparison they're just talking about one of the players <laughs> and totally like just reply and just be like yeah but this with the with that so as long as it's not toxic it's like it's like definitely cool to have in this scene and to see people discussing that kind of stuff um but yeah towards definitely the the best player in the game right now for sure yeah, and from there we can kind of transition to talking about, you know, I mean, a good tra- a good transition as well because you know talking about sports. I mean, this is something that's talked about all the time is leaving a legacy or having a legacy, right? So I mean, you know, in football you think about, you know, Joe Montana's, the uh, you know, Tom Brady's more recently and stuff like that. You think in basketball, Jordan's, LeBron's. In Pokémon, you know, we've definitely got plenty of people who've left a legacy. Um and do you feel like that's like as a top level player is that kind of like because like i don't know the regionals and stuff like that you obviously each tournament you're just kind of competing is uh and you even kind of were saying like i don't know it's uh the more wins you have like the maybe less special each new one feels does it ultimately become a game of like wanting to leave behind a legacy of you know being able to look back eventually and look at the resume of results and say okay this is what i accomplished this is what i did yeah definitely that's kind of like my goal in the game at this point and it was never my goal when i like started playing or even when i was more competitive a little while ago but, my, but like my definitely like one of the things the thing that i want to do is just leave a legacy in the game and have people like remember me when i don't compete anymore um long after i stopped competing and that can like in like there's so many different ways that you could achieve that so like it like maybe I never win worlds, um, but if it's enough for me to top eight worlds, maybe a couple more times to do that, um, or if what I've done is already enough, then that's fine. It's just like that's my 
my goal is to leave, like to have people remember me once I no longer compete in the game. You know, I want to be talked about like the way that people like talk about Puka still as a competitor from way back when and stuff like that. Right. Um, so that's like definitely the, the goal at this point. Maybe it involves me winning worlds. Maybe it doesn't, but I'm just going to keep competing as long as I have like that competitive drive and then hope that that's like the, the end result. You know, maybe I never win ever again, but if I top eight, you know, 20 tournaments in a row, I think that would be something special, you know, so it doesn't really matter what it is to get me there as long as I just kind of, as long as I just get there. Um, yeah. And I guess that's another interesting point, right? The consistency versus the results, right? Do you, would you rather like be the person who's making those top eights regularly, or would you rather be the one who spikes one tournament and then you just have kind of like, you know, make some day twos along the way uh, for the rest of your career. Right. I feel like the consistency is what stands out, but also at the same time, like, you know, history remembers winners is something, you know, I've said on the broadcast a few times, ultimately at the end of the day, you know, more often people are going to remember who comes away with the title. And I guess maybe that's more so because oftentimes the people who are coming away with the title are the people who are there regularly, but I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's like a mix of both. I mean, yeah, like I definitely, and there are some people like where that's like, that's, but that, but like for the idea of trying to leave it like, like if I only ever won one international championship and then like barely ever top eight it ever again, no other major wins or just won one regional, like no one would ever remember who I was in the game, right? As a competitor, right? You definitely, I think it's like pretty established in Pokemon. You need more than that or something about you has to be unique um, while being a very good player for you to stand out, right? Yeah. Um, and I think it's the same thing in sports, right? Like, the uh, history only remembers winners but like there's a ton of people who have won the <laughs> the the nba finals who nobody remembers who they are right but then you have people who like maybe they haven't won as much but they were really really good always competing and near the top and you know people those people are remembered even if they haven't won. i think like the, the person who stands out to me most in modern sports is probably aaron Rodgers. right has only won once um but has kind of those that diehard fan base where people even uh, argue for him to be the greatest quarterback of all time, which that's kind of uh, ridiculous. But he's definitely he's definitely a very good player. Sure. who's like going to be remembered for a while as being one of the greatest quarterbacks ever. Right. So um, but it, he didn't just win once and then never do anything else again. He's been competing for a long time. Been league MVP. Uh, yeah. Been league MVP. Been I mean, he was the MVP. What, like last season? Right. Or was it the season before? Ago, I think. Yeah. So like recently been the MVP um is always competing is always being competitive making it to the playoffs most most years right if not all i don't even know has he ever missed the playoffs um i don't even know that stat but you know if he had just won one once and then kind of didn't do anything or even push for more wins after that then no one would remember aaron Rodgers. but you know he keeps doing something out there so even in like sports it's like the same thing where it's like you need to do something else besides just win once you need to do something else besides just win one regional championship but for a lot of people in the pokemon tcg they're not trying to leave a legacy right they'd be very content with getting that one regional championship dub um or ic dub yeah it really kind of, only you know, applies to a small group of players yeah. right the the best of the best right and i i think uh i guess one prime example would be the 2012 world or 2011 yeah 2011 world championships right ross cawthon got second place every most people know of his the truth deck extremely famous deck you know incredibly rogue under the radar nobody really predicted nobody knew what he was playing uh and you know he's gotten top cut at worlds multiple times he's gotten second place twice top four once and he's continued to get his world invite every single year absolutely someone who's left a legacy on the game 
from his play to his deck building, right? Playing the rogue decks and stuff like that. And then you look at the person who won the 2011 world championships, David Cohen, he won worlds. That's great. But then nobody really since then, you know, he's, I mean, I don't know any other tournament results of his over the years. Do you? Yeah, I don't, I don't know how much more, um, they played after that that win to be honest i don't know if they did much more but no, yeah nobody remembers the name right and part of it is doing more than that and i guess if you retire you can't do any more than that right yeah sure um but yeah a lot of people know who who ross is right um and ross's like achievements over the last couple of years hasn't been anything stellar always shows up at worlds though for a yeah, pretty strong always gets finish. that invite still every year yeah gets the invite usually has a pretty solid finish at worlds maybe has like the most top 16s at world has like one of the best world's performance like resumes of like all time for yes, sure yes it's like a, t- a ridiculous amount a couple top eights uh a ridiculous amount of top 16s at worlds i think like probably the player with the most top 16s at worlds and we're talking um, about ones that like you won't find on limitless right it's like yeah <laughs> 2007 2008 to, a lot like, of them you won't find on limitless. most of these you might find some of them on ptcg legends i guess but um so it's like a good example of like even winning worlds and that was a long time ago before the idea of caring about Pokemon as much was kind of a thing, right? Um, that's like I could, we could probably say that for sure, right? Now I think if you won Worlds, there'd be a little bit more to it for sure. Um, but yeah, it definitely that is a good that, that's like the example that I use all the time is like no one remembers David, uh, which is fine. It's not like a knock on David or anything, of course. But you know, everyone knows Ross. Everyone remembers Ross or remembers Ross knows Ross. Ross is still playing. Um, so Ross has definitely left a, left a legacy on the game because like Ross is definitely just a very unique player. And I think that's the thing that stands out for Ross the most. Like Ross is unique, right? Always plays weird decks or a lot of time plays weird decks, off meta decks, isn't playing too many like tier one, tier two decks very often. Uh, does very well with the the off-brand decks. Uh, shows up at Worlds pretty consistently all the way back when he started playing even till today. Um, yeah, so there's just something about Ross that kind of stands out and... Uh, you know, I think we'll be remembered for a long time as a as a player, especially if he keeps competing and you know shows up and gets another a very solid finish at an IC or Worlds moving forward. Is there anyone else who stands out to you who's like definitely left a legacy on the game that you want to talk about? Um, I mean, I think one of the go tos for sure is is Puka um, that I feel like people a lot of people remember, and part of that probably has to do with like his personality and like the content he did uh, at the time as well. Yeah, um, definitely brings a lot more to his name and people remembering him. Um, but like yeah, back in the day, Puka that's was an like, interesting point as well. Like leaving a legacy beyond just his play, like obviously incredibly successful player, but like he was a trailblazer in the world of uh, event coverage, right? Like nobody yeah, was content. like live streaming these tournaments and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, him in the top cut. Um, I mean, they did a lot for the game back in the day. Um, you know, and still even cast to this day as well. He still catch Puka uh, casting a couple tournaments um as well but yeah he was like uh i was known as one of the best players in the game but that's one of the players like that i looked up to personally because i felt like when i heard about results and it was like back there it was a lot like you had it was like word of mouth or facebook groups or forums uh, poke beach not poke beach poke gym gym poke gym forums where people would post the results from state championships and city champion or city championships and regionals um and like i remember like waiting to see like the results from canadian nationals which is like usually a week or two before u.s nationals uh, and you know, Puka's name would always be up there for like regionals and state championships. So that's like someone I like personally. When I look back at the game, it's like someone who I like looked up to and aspired to want to like replicate that consistency that Puka had as a competitor, right? Like Puka was like um, never had never really had a strong showing at Worlds. 
Um, so that's like the one thing I was missing from Puka's resume. But like, I think it was like three out of four years in a row got like, what was it? Like first, it was like something ridiculous at US Nationals. It was like top four, like three out of four years in a row or something like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, had always showed up at US Nationals. Yeah, never quite had the world's placement to go with it. But um, yeah, I think it's like one player that that stands out to me personally in the past. Um, but I guess for someone as you, Chip, who's like newer, is there anyone that yeah. like stands out to you? Like, who's that's a what player? I was just sitting here thinking about? <laughs> so funny that you say that because I was just sitting here thinking, like, man, I just wish that I had been around when you're talking about Poke Gym and stuff like that. Like, I wish I had been around during like the forum days of like, <laughs> like trying to see what the results were and like going to play in these tournaments and stuff. Yeah, so I, I have been playing far lo- uh, less time than Azul has. About five uh, years difference because you started I, what 2015 oh, yeah i started playing in like the fall of 2015 something like yeah. that and i got my world's first world's invite in the 2017 season like i started like competing and stuff like that i went to some tournaments and stuff in uh 2016 but like never was going to enough to like actually compete to try to qualify and stuff like that but um yeah i i mean i think one of the standout names for me from that time frame is uh igor costa he was a oh, yeah. world champion and then he won regionals in that time frame. He had top four at uh an, the, another worlds, right? He got top or he got second place at 2014 worlds. Yeah, and so top like, four lost to Meese in top four. I think, he was one the, of the players when I started playing yeah. that I remember thinking of as like, oh my gosh, this is like this guy is like the pinnacle of of like what a Pokemon player could be and stuff like that um and he he's played like a couple tournaments the last couple years but he definitely is not like you know he's not a grinder anymore like he once was no he like but i, I don't think know, he's, he's, you know, his, he's someone else who's got like the crazy multiple top cut world placements that you know very few people are yeah. able to say they have and then it was always super consistent i like i mean i remember because i used to work with him i don't know i don't know what year i started working with igor um but in the the year he won like three regionals or something he said like i remember him like he's before he won that many regionals like after his first regional when he's going i'm gonna win three of these this year or something and then he went on to win, like, three <laughs> that's regionals. sick i think he won three that year yeah. um he said yeah win three of these things he's like he's like i know it's doable i know like it's definitely gonna do it. i can definitely do this um so yeah igor definitely one of the best players one of the best players of all time to be honest that probably isn't talked about um as much but he definitely that's actually a good a good shout out is igor for sure. I, I don't know how many. Did he win three regionals that year? Or was it just two? Uh, let me pull it up. No, it was so, three, right? Yeah, he won Hartford regionals. He won Costa Mesa and he won Madison. Yep. Three in the yeah. same season. Yeah. And I think after the first one at Hartford or it was maybe one of the regionals after that where he didn't. He's like, he's like, he's like, yeah, I'm going to win three of these. He's like, easy. No problem. He's like feeling it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And then, I mean, even the season before, like second place regional, like look at the, how many top eights at regionals. Like people were not doing this at this time yeah. frame, you know, like sixth, second, fifth, fifth, fourth, fourth. Um, one of those being NAIC. Yep. And then top 32 at Worlds. Yeah. Pretty cool. So he's another one who stands out to me. I guess someone else, like kind of in the same vein, someone he worked with would be Jimmy, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, he had that crazy dominant 20. It was that 2018 season as well, right? Was it all in that 2018 season, really? I think, well, because this was the year that y'all's team won, like, almost every tournament. <laughs> like, the only way anyone was winning a tournament was if they were on Team DDG at the time. <laughs> were we even DDG at that point? I don't even think we were. I think we that, were was DDG, before, D- that was the season before That was the season before DDG. Bro, how DDG year was the... Oh, you're DDG right. Was... It was the yeah. season before. Dang, you were right. Yeah. 
but it was like yeah it was me yeah me jimmy igor and then it became me jimmy igor danny caleb uh isaiah so yeah. it grew a little bit after that um yeah, but that's like so. I guess I also won. Yeah, but at the beginning of the season, we, I wasn't working with Igor and Jimmy at that time. When yeah. I won like Florida and stuff, we started working together after that. So Jimmy uh, won four regionals in this yeah. season, but, but, and it was all between <laughs> October and March, right? So in like a six month span, he wins four regional championships. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. And then even after that, three top eights in a row: Santa Clara, Madison, and then Origin. Well, Origins is kind of whatever, but mm-hmm. Santa Clara and Madison, top eight, top eight. Um, actually, wait, go to the Madison Regional Championships real fast. I forget how many of us were in top eight. Was it four of us or three? It was three. Okay. You, Jimmy. Oh, it was Pram, Pram. with you guys? Yeah, yeah. yeah, we were working with Pram at the time as well. That's it. This was actually, I think, our most dominant tournament as DDG. I think there was all of us were in top 32. Danny. Yeah. There's Caleb. Caleb. And Isaiah, yep. yep yeah. <laughs> Bringing up the rear. 30th place. There you go, buddy. We weren't playing a control deck, so Isaiah had to take a... Uh, yeah, look at that. <laughs> Six yeah. people on the same 60, all in top 32. I wonder how often that has happened. Definitely not that often, right? This might be the only time, to be honest. Six people in top 32. But yeah, I mean, obviously, our bias is definitely a little bit more towards the American players, because that's yeah you know, we're around the most in like the tournaments that we're seeing the most. But... um we're actually talking about, I don't know if I talk about it. Dude, I just don't recognize, like, I'm not, not to like say they're bad players, but like, I only know the European names for like mostly like top players or players I've seen in make top eight before. But like, I'll look at this top eight for Europe and I'll be like, I don't recognize, I've recognized Ethan Wilde. I think I've seen that name before. And then a Christian, of course, Fontenot. Um, but everyone else, oh, Alberto, of course, of course, of course, of course. Um, but yeah, like everyone <laughs> else, I just don't, I don't recognize any of these names um so i but i'm sure like if you're a european player you look at that and you're like oh yeah yeah like this makes sense that this person's a top eight or yeah. that you know that they would make top 16 or top eight but yeah it is a it european is like, player might look at this top cut and not like be like oh i, I don't know that i've seen grant hayes name before but like yeah, all the I mean, good american yeah. players know who grant hayes is right yeah, i know grant hayes i mean even like uh nick robinson if you haven't been playing for a yeah, while nick won nationals and yeah. yeah 2016 right so like nick being in top eight here isn't, isn't that big of a style hale uh, probably a lot of people don't recognize very good player but doesn't go to very many events but when he does go into an event he's like his his top eight to event participation ratio might be the best actually Hale might have the best be, i think be it was something like he's player. top eighted uh because when people go on stream we have like that we ask like a fun fact and i think hale's fun fact was that he has top eighted three out of the last four regionals yeah. he's been to <laughs> he and then this is gonna be this makes it four out of five of the last regionals he's been That's, to that's pretty crazy. Yeah. yeah. He might be the most efficient player in the Pokemon TCG. And then um, someone like Dan as well. Like he, a lot of people probably don't recognize Dan's name, but like he's a very yeah. consistent like day two finisher at regionals the last season. He's been grinding. Yeah. yeah. I met Dan for the first, like I met, I think I was at the first Dan's first tournament back when I lived in Indiana. Um, Cause I remember him showing up to a league cup in Indiana, I think. Um, and it being like his first tournament. So yeah, I was, there, I think I was there for, for Dan's, uh, Dan's first tournament, but he's definitely come a long way. Um, and yeah. Got his first. Is it first top eight? His first IRL top eight. Yeah. Yeah. I guess top a... eight. All his players' cups. He didn't finish in the top. He finished in like the global finals, though. Yeah, he was like he was up there twice in the in the. He players was cup grinding cups. the players' cups. Yeah. Yeah, he's making moves. Um. Yeah, it's, it's just interesting to see. Like, there's so many good players in the Pokemon TCG, uh. But if you're not like in the community in that region, you just don't know. Like, you just don't know the names. Like, I know the you know the Stefans, the Pedros, the Tords in Europe, but. Sure. You know, like uh, Juho, I had no idea who Juho was until 
LAIC happened. Um, but it just shows how many good players there are in the Pokemon TCG overall. Because like on the American side, it's the same thing. A lot of the names in the, the top 16 here in America, a lot of the European or Latin American players aren't going to recognize. Um, but we look at them and it's like, oh, that meeting top eight is not like ridiculous. Like we 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 understand like the how good that player is and it makes sense that they could be pushing for that, you know, top eight, top 16 finish or whatever it is. Shows how much the game has grown, I guess, as well, right? Yeah, and continuing to do so as well. I mean, San Antonio was just the largest regionals ever, and Charlotte is going to overtake it in about a yeah. month, <laughs> which is pretty nuts. So. I have to hold my own or try and hold my own record, I guess, for winning the largest regional in Charlotte. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone's going to break your record, buddy. Come on now. All right. Well, we are going to talk more about the meta and like the results and all that from San Antonio. But before we do so, we do need to take a quick moment to thank our fantastic sponsor, Dragon Shield, for supporting us here at the Uncommon Energy Podcast. Of course, Dragon Shield makes some of the best card gaming and tabletop gaming products on the market, including sleeves, binders, deck boxes, and so much more. This will have the Dragon Shields fair for you this weekend. <laughs> they held up well. Um, yeah, always love rocking the the mats. Personally, big fan of the mat Dragon Shield sleeves. Um, so yeah, huge shout out to Dragon Shield as always for sponsoring the podcast. Um, if you guys want to su- support us and get yourself some Dragon Shield products, check out the link in the description. If you make your way over to DragonShield.com, you can use code UEPOD to receive a five percent off and support us with any uh, products you might pick up. Yeah, shout out to Dragon Shield. As always. And with that being said, it's time to move on to guess that flavor text, the portion of the show every single week where Azul or I picks a card, reads the flavor text, and has the other host try to guess which Pokemon is featured on that card. You do have three lifelines to work with to help you out, and we do keep score. So currently i am up 16 to 10 so azul has a chance to make up some ground here i've got a card picked out for him we'll see if he can do it if he gets it right without using any of the lifelines he gets four points and then for each lifeline he uses he loses a point so the three lifelines are what set the card is from what stage the card is and read an attack name azul what you think buddy are you ready you're gonna make up some ground this week you're muted Oh, my bad. I just opened up my drink, so I <laughs> muted. Yeah, you hopefully... didn't do it during the intro this week, but you still managed to do it at some point. Yeah, hopefully we'll see. I was like going back, when was the last time one of us scored points? One, two, three, four, five, six. It's been six times, and you got two for Glammeow. Yeah, hopefully the... I can start doing some ground here. Uh, I actually don't know. I think so. What We're was on the last episode one? 88 right now. Yep, it is up to date. It is up oh, to date. Shout outs to... Uh... The person who was keeping track of this shoot, I forgot. <laughs> I don't have it right in front of me like I did last time. But all right, you ready, Azul? I am ready. Hit me with the all that right. flavor text. Here we go. Here we go. Since it can't generate its own electricity, it sticks onto large-bodied Pokemon and absorbs static electricity. Huh. It can't generate electricity. It sticks onto large-bodied Pokemon. I'm thinking of like a Pokemon that would be like sticking on other Pokemon. And the only thing I can really that's coming to mind is Stunfisk. Um, it is an electric ground Pokemon. And it looks like it could stick to stuff. I don't think Stunfisk is like an underwater Pokemon. It's like Real a... quick, by the way, it's a shout out to uh, Tim End Games, who's been making the spreadsheet and keeping up with it for us. Thank you, Tim. Shout out to Tim. Um, 
And I'm almost to the point where it's like, I can't think of anything else. And nothing else really like makes sense to me. So I think I might just lock in Stunfisk and try and spike. Stunfisk right away. You want to hear it one more time? Yeah, go ahead. One more time. All right. Since it can't generate its own electricity, it sticks onto large bodied Pokemon and absorbs static electricity. I mean, I think it would work. All right, sure. I'm just going to go and lock. We're just going for the spike. I'm locking in Stunfisk. <laughs> going all out. And it does not pay off because it is uh, not Stunfisk. Azul, better luck next time. I am going to give the off the, the lifelines for anyone playing along at home. I was confident in that. And one. we'll see go if ahead. Azul can whittle it down a little bit here. So the set the card is from is XY Phantom Forces. XY. All right, go ahead. Keep with the. XY Phantom Forces. I remember anything it about is that a thing. basic. And an attack name is Gnaw. Basic Phantom Forces Gnaw. Yes. And it sticks to large bodied Pokemon. Since it can't generate its own electricity, it sticks onto large bodied Pokemon and absorbs static electricity. I got no clue, to be honest. So it so... does have one more attack, Azul. All right, well, give me the other attack. I want to see if I can. The other attack is Night March. Oh, it's Joltik. Okay, that <laughs> does make sense. That does make sense. It's uh... Joltik. You know, I thought this was fitting. You know, we were just talking about you want a regionals with Night March back True. in the day. The Joltik, Didn't ever read man. Joltik's flavor text though during that time frame. No, I guess not. <laughs> it, well, as soon as you said it though, I do remember it having gnaw. I did remember. Oh yeah, yeah, Joltik yeah. yeah. People gnaw. played lightning energies in Night March at some point along the way. I'm Just sure gnaw was announced more than once as an attack. Never know. Might be gnawing. Okay, yeah. The Jolt that does make sense too. It does look like a Pokemon that could stick onto stuff to generate some, or was it? It takes generates static electricity from static them or something. Static electricity. Yeah, it's okay. an electric Pokemon. Can't generate it its is. own electricity. Yep, yep. It is really small too. He's a it's little guy. Tiny. Yeah. Stunfisk. Yeah. How big is the Stunfisk? Now I'm like kind of curious. How big is it? Yeah. How big is the Stunfisk? Let's go look at some Stunfisk cards. Ever since Galarian Stunfisk came out, oh, I was about to say how long has it been since they've made a regular Stunfisk, but it <laughs> has not been long. So on the card it says Joltig is, uh. Four inches. Is it tall, right? Wait, no, it's point four inches, I guess, right? Yeah. Yeah, and then Stunfisk is two feet four inches. Yeah. Stunfisk is going to be able to stick on many things. But he's a flat little guy, you know? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It's like it's flat, stick onto something. I don't <laughs> think Stunfisk like an underwater Pokemon. So like it can go underwater, I'm sure, but like it's not necessary. I'm going to see if I can pull this up. Someone sent me Joltik this. So Joltig just got added actually to the Pokemon video games again. To There's like new DLC. I've actually been mm -hmm. playing it this weekend. And hang on, I can download it. That's what I'll do. Someone <laughs> sent me this clip and said, Pokemon players when the new Uncommon Energy episode drops. And it, they sent me this video. <laughs> It's all the Joltigs <laughs> in the new game. <laughs> this crowd around. <laughs> and funny. you can't hear the sound that they are making, but it is outrageous. 
Oh, man. But yeah, there you go. Joltig, another week, another goose egg for Azul, the big old zero. Maybe in a couple weeks you'll get some points. I thought there it's was a chance a with this one, though. I thought you could have gotten it. When was the last time I even got a point? Pillow Swine? No. Jealousy. What episode was that? Episode 65. It's a little while ago. We are on episode 88, by the way. All right, moving on to our recap of the San Antonio Regional Championships. So, yeah, largest. the largest regional championships of all time. We didn't hit 2000, though, which was kind of we were 15 off 2000. Yeah. We we're so close. I thought I was confident. I was like, oh, yeah, 2000, easy. So, there was what is it like? It was like 20, almost 2500 total. Um, I don't know, like 100, I think it was like 150 juniors actually, or 125. Um, yeah, we can look at the take away 125 juniors, maybe 150 seniors. We're looking at what, like 300 players there. So, maybe like 200 juniors, masters to show up. I guess final standings. Juniors, there was 126 down. juniors. Mm-hmm. There was 141 seniors. Okay. And then, yeah, on the final standings, it'll be. We're missing like. Probably 85, I'm sure. Yep. I wonder how many. I wonder how many juniors and seniors don't don't show up. Because we're like missing probably like 200 masters and then what, like 10 to 20 juniors, 10 to 20 seniors. Because, no, that's probably correct. Also, was San Antonio even sold out? I don't think it was, right? I think it was. Well, no, Isaiah registered like a couple days before the event Isaiah. oh i think they did release like a final wave so maybe he got in on that but maybe there were just like a few spots he didn't he definitely was not in the know to get to to for a wave so yeah he just just attempted to register and was able to so yeah i don't think it sold out i think there was still availability near the end or he just got lucky and it was like one of those random cancellation yeah yeah refund situations there was just a spot sitting there and it was just open when he tried to register um um but regardless yeah i thought it was a great tournament uh the the location was awesome i felt like san antonio was a cool city uh the riverwalk area was pretty nice did you end up going down to the riverwalk at any point as well no because yeah, oh, i got in like five was it nice was that nice yeah it's cool i mean i've been to san antonio before and, yeah. and had been down there uh and it was fun we, i walked around with the casters on saturday night we went and tried to find somewhere to eat and it ended up at Waterburger because everywhere was closed <laughs> by the time we were getting out looking around for food yeah, because I got in at like 5 p.m. on Friday and then played all of day two, all of day one, all of day two. And even if I didn't play all of day two, my flight originally was scheduled for 7 p.m. So I had to rebook as soon as I hit top four. Um, same thing that happened in Toronto as, as well. It's like my flights are like the the late flights. Like once you hit top four is like when the reschedule has to happen, apparently around like seven. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, and then I just left on on Monday. I did go to the one thing I like to always go when I go to Texas, is get some barbecue. Yeah, yeah. Went to a barbecue place on Monday because I had a later, I had a, a early afternoon flight. But the place was terrible. It was not good. Oh, <laughs> rip. <laughs> yeah. Dang. It was the place that, uh, oh, I don't know if you were with them. It's the, the, they all went there on Friday. Oh, I was with them. Yeah. That place was not good. They told you it was good? Well, I thought it was Mike very. Mike said it was, fine. Mike said it was, Mike said it was fine, but the mac and cheese was bad. So, like, okay, you just go there, you just don't get the mac and cheese. It was not good. The place was not good. Don't go. <laughs> What'd you get? Well, I got brisket and I thought it was okay. I got brisket. It was mm. bad. 
It was Dang. like it was this. This was definitely the worst barbecue food I have ever had. It wasn't even Sheesh. close. It, dude, I was surprised because barbecue is like not that hard. Even like bad barbecue, it's like okay, it's still barbecue. You know, put some extra sauce on there. We're maybe you got the leftovers from the day before. You know. Yeah, maybe that's possible. Because like that's I had that place. same place. Uh, I don't remember what the name of it was, but it was it wasn't bad. It wasn't great. Like that's what I'm it wasn't like it's... I was like jonesing to go back, but yeah. But usually it's just like oh, it's still barbecue food, even though it's like not one of like yeah, the really yeah, good yeah. places. But yeah, dang, unfortunate man. But yeah, I thought the the city overall. I mean, it's a pretty. Um, it sounds like a lot of people like. I didn't get to city. experience yeah. any of it. Basically, I got to experience none of the the city. Um, but it sounds like a lot of people enjoyed it. So maybe we're gonna be headed back to San Antonio. I'm sure it's probably cheaper to hold a tournament in San Antonio than like Dallas or where yeah. we've we been before. Dallas or where's the other big one? Arlington was last year. Arlington was like it's probably not that expensive to have held in Arlington either though. So we might we might just not go back to Dallas. I think Arlington is kind of an expensive area, but yeah, I'm not sure. Um because like mm-hmm. we're right there where the Cowboys Stadium and stuff is, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. Um Let's see it. But yeah, overall, yeah, fun city. The venue felt pretty nice. Like I didn't feel like it was super cramped in there walking around. I wasn't yeah. walking around between rounds, however, so I, I don't know. How did it feel for you I mean, it was... in the venue? It was fine. It's like to kind of be expected at this point, I guess. It would be better. It would be nice to have a little bit better. I mean, there's just not room, though. Like, it'd be nice to have, like, the, the tables set a little bit further apart, especially in, like, the main lanes, main aisles. Yeah. So the congestion isn't as much when people are trying to get to their tables. But there might just kind of be nothing you can do about that. And it might just be kind of something we have to deal with. There's, like, basically no extra space, though. Like, everywhere was. They were making use of the space fully. Yeah, competitors space there wasn't like like it seemed like there wasn't really any free tables or if there was i don't know where they were um but yeah there's the tcg and then the vgc and then the go like it was all just competitor spice uh filled up of course there was like the the stage area um but yeah the the venue was like seemed fine for especially for the amount of players we had it seemed like fine of course like i said it was crowded but it didn't feel like as congested as like naic or something like that so a little bit better than that um and then the tournament overall uh ran pretty smooth like um it was day two you know they run a they run good events. Um, this one was also very good. They're also the only organizers in North America that do lunch breaks, and we still got out of there. It was like eight thirty ish, so they're like competing for um, some of the like they're competing with the uh, these other events that aren't doing lunch breaks while having a lunch break, which is uh, that's I mean that's like a that's pretty sick. I mean I don't think we need the lunch break. I would prefer no lunch break, but. If they're gonna do one and then still competing with the the you know the get in get out time, um, with everyone else, then I don't know. That's pretty reasonable, I guess. Like, I mean, if they want to keep having lunch breaks and it's going that smoothly, sure, why not? Yeah, but wouldn't it be nice to get out at like? Yeah, you know, I agree. Yeah, <laughs> I would like to. I would like to. Yeah, yeah. Like, I would prefer no lunch breaks overall. But uh, but like I said, if it, if it is going that smoothly with lunch break, then you know I can't really knock them for keep doing it if they want to keep doing it. Yeah, so overall, pretty smooth tournament. Didn't really feel like there was much time between rounds. We, uh, on production, like, always notice when there's a long time between rounds because we're trying to fill, you know, the time. (laughs) And it does end up happening quite a bit, but didn't really feel like it happened too much this weekend. It felt like pretty much it was like, boom, tournament, the round is done, quick little break, change out casters, whatever we're doing. We come back, we're looking at the standings, the next match is ready, boom, let's go. Um, so hopefully anyone watching, I guess, let us know in the comments, you know, or let me know more than anything. Did it feel like, uh, things went pretty smoothly from the, the stream point of view? Did you feel like you were having to wait around and watch too many of the, 
recap videos. <laughs> Those are pretty much unavoidable, by the way, but uh, they're going to have to happen in some capacity. But we yeah. definitely don't want it to be constant. Yeah, not a whole ton of downtime for sure. Felt like, or the matches also like there wasn't like many lopsided matches. We didn't have. Things. I think we had one two zero game that ended fast, and it was Grant beating uh, Christian on the winning end. So that did create, we had a decent amount of time in that one. And we always have a little bit of time there because of the, um, we always have a little bit of time there because of like, there's just naturally time between round nine finishing and around 15 finishing and them starting top eight. Um, but I think we did like, we played like Pokemon stadium mini games on the stream during that time, (laughs) (laughs) which was kind of fun. I was, uh, not the best at it. And also they gave me a Joy-Con to play on. Pablo and I were playing on little Joy-Cons, and Hegster and Jeremy got actual real controllers. So I did feel like the odds were stacked against me just a little bit. Throwing you, that out there. Are you the red player here? Yes, I did the worst by far. Okay. Well, my uh, so yeah. in this game, my uh, the way this game works is your Chansey is supposed to stay in the middle to catch the eggs, or you right bumper to the right to catch egg, left bumper to the left to catch an egg. And my left bumper did not work. <laughs> so you just gonna catch? <laughs> so any I was eggs? getting farmed. There was a pretty yeah. funny clip in here though, where it's this mini game with the scythers. The way this game works is. They drop the log mm-hmm. uh, for anyone who's listening and not watching on YouTube. We're, it's talking about Pokemon Stadium mini games here. Basically, there's a log that drops with a line on the log, and you're supposed to mash A right where the line is for the Scyther to like cut the log. And there's a pretty funny clip that happened because I, one of the times, um, did it like perfectly, like better than anyone else did. Um, here, it drops right here. Boom, slice, perfect, right on the money, right on the line. And pulled it back up, and I was like, oh, yeah, look at that. You know, I'm kind of gloating a little bit. They're <laughs> saying, like, oh, yeah, that was that was good right on the line. Uh, and I was uh, – someone was – they were like, oh, how do you even do that, Chip? And I said, like, uh, pure intuition and skill. And then immediately after, <laughs> missed the log. It was, like, literally, like, boom, perfect timing. Pure skill, and then just instant missed the log completely. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, anyway, the, the we had fun with it. All that to go back to, I had this even pulled up on the day two meta. I know what share, you do, And now I've lost it. It's around here somewhere, though. But yeah, uh, the meta for day one. Unexpected, expected. What do you think is number one overall was the Charizard EX, the deck you chose to play? Um, I guess it's not surprising that Charizard was number one. I think how popular Charizard and Maridon were was a little bit of a surprise. Like I, we, our predictions were 15% for each of them, just kind of like roughly one of them was going to be a little bit more popular probably. And it was Charizard of Maridon by 1%. Um, but 18 and 17 is a lot. It is a lot. That's a lot for two decks to be that popular. And it's not like it staggers after it's a that. Steep it just drops drop. off. Yeah. Yeah. It just drops to eight, 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 eight. <laughs> like they're just all eights. After that, Mew V Max, which to be honest, that being that popular was a little bit of a surprise. Um, you were probably thankful to see Mew. it though, huh? You were probably thankful to see it with the Charizard though, yeah, of course. Yeah, love to see that because we were playing Charizard. Uh, I'm not sure Mew love to see Maridon being that popular, but not Charizard being that popular. And then Gardvor, uh, I, I predicted Gardvor to be sub 10%, and there it is at the 8.5. 
Uh, I thought Lost Box would be around 12, though. Like, I thought Lost Box would be up there. There's a bunch of different ways to play it. People seem to be really hype about the Lost Pile builds. And then 8%. That was actually kind of a surprise, to be honest. I thought it was going to see. But Lost Pile seemed to, like, no one seemed to be wanting to play that deck, it seemed like. I didn't, like, see any of them here. The yeah, top. maybe there just wasn't enough time between Stuttgart yeah. in this tournament. I think that's probably a part of it. I think we'll probably see some more of that Lost Zone type stuff pop up in portland and charlotte have more time to prepare for it to play exactly it. yeah but also though like i don't know how good it is the charizard matchup might be fine but i don't think you have a great Maridon matchup i think hands is just hard to deal with for lost pile like you, well, you but have if we to look KO at it. the results which we will do eventually here like Maridon, you know would you expect with how played Maridon is here and what its results end up being would you expect it to still remain this high on the metashare day one Going into like Portland, yeah. Moving forward, uh, probably not because Charizard's probably going to be the number one deck moving forward. I guess we'll Which, talk more about that a little later, but yeah. But it might just be kind of a mix. Like if we look at that, it's like okay, well, if Charizard's number one, sounds like Guard Wars a pretty good play because Guard War generally has a favorite Charizard matchup. Um, and even like like our list specifically, uh, we didn't really tech at all for Guardy. We kind of just like we're like if we hit a Guardy, it's going to be tough. And that was like basically our game plan against Guardy was. One Lost City, no Avery, no Vengeful Punch. Like, we're just like, it's going to be a tough time against Guardi. But Maridon's probably going to be the second most popular deck. So if we get to round, like, six, we shouldn't be able to see a Guardi. That should be fine. Um, <clears throat> should be safe at that point. Um, so I don't know. The meta's an interesting spot here, for sure. But I think we are starting to see... Also, like, right actual... off the sh the list here, by the way, at seventh place was Rapid Strike at 6.5%. 6.5. All right, yeah. Um... So I don't know. Yeah, Maridon, it feels like it should come down, but by the time Portland comes around, maybe the meta kind of has already like adjusted itself where it's like Guardi's the number one deck now, which means Maridon's actually a really good play. And then Charizard becomes like a more questionable play because Guardi is the number one most popular deck. Because um, Guardi being like becoming the number one most popular deck because Charizard's the most popular deck, like kind of makes sense, right? I guess. But then at that point, well, Maridon likes that. Maridon's pretty good against Guard War. Um, <laughs> and, and then everything Lost else kind of, <laughs> yeah, and then everything else kind of flows around that, I guess, a little bit. So. Um, yeah, I don't know where Marion's really going to sit after this. Although I, I expect Charizard to stay up there for sure, but I could see Marion players just being like, well, I mean, does it make sense to play Marion if Charizard's going to be the number one deck? And then as we move into day two, Marion, a steep drop off yeah. down to 8%. <laughs> but Charizard increasing. So it's one of those instances. Sometimes, like you see a deck is most popular, like Marion. And then, like Charizard in the past, Charizard has been really popular and then not converted super well into day two. But it just turns out for this event, maybe due to Gardevoir not being as great of a play, I don't know exactly what it is, but Charizard does convert very well into Day 2, being still the most popular deck up to 23.11% of Day 2 field. We could look at the, on Pokestats, we could look at the conversion rate, or what it says for the conversion rate. Yeah. Um, it's it's. I don't think the stats on Pokestats are as, um, what's it called, but we don't have another way to see the day do conversion rate. So the Number one deck for the conversion rate, 20% of uh, Lost Tinas. We had 90% of Fusion Muse. Oh, wow, the Fusion Muse in the... Yeah, 90% of Fusion Muse, 19% of Rapid Strikes, 17% yeah. of uh, DT Muse. And the only, like, Charizard was the fifth most converted deck from day one to day two. But um, with how popular it was, it kept it as the most popular deck in day two. Um, but that's always, like, an interesting thing to look at. And then down here at the bottom, Maradon and Chimpao, terrible conversion rates. 7%, 3% for Chimpao. Uh also like Lost Zone decks in general. I guess I guess like Lost there's Lost Box Kyogre there in the middle at 14%, which isn't bad. Uh for sure. But um what was it? 
pull it up. Go back to the um, what's it called? Just the day two meta in general. Um, so yeah, we saw Tina come through pretty big. Musa is still hanging up there, uh, gained some percentage. Rapid Strike makes its way, which makes sense because Rapid Strike. Uh, honestly, I don't know how good it is against Maridon. It's definitely no worse than 50-50, but it doesn't feel like the hands really changes things up. It's in the not early a slam price dunk, trade. yeah. Like yeah, it's not like has the slam Mew. dunk. It felt like it was, I think. Yeah, because everyone has Mew. Um, everyone has the Mew EX, which is a really good attacker in that matchup. Um, and then hands, like if you get if you get hands on Intellion for three, off the rip, like they're just a right to attack on a Urshifu away from winning, right? They're not even that far from winning. So the um, the matchup feels like it's definitely changed, not in Maridon's favor, but it's like um, it doesn't feel like Intellion is or Raptrex is solidly favored as it used to be. It feels like it used to be in the past. Um, but yeah, Marina has a huge, huge drop-off, and then Gardvor kind of maintains its its percentage from day one to day two. Do we know what the seventh place deck here was? It had I to be... check this time, no. Oh, Lost Tina's up there. What fell off the chart? Lost Box. We can look at... But I don't actually... To be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if Lost Box. <clears throat> but we could just go to go to Limitless. It'll be on Limitless. Well, oh, just right check here. there. Mew... So it's Roaring Moon? And then lost boxes. It's a pretty steep drop off. So, oh, well, no, oh, be they don't box. have Muse separated here on the R graph. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it'd be Inteleon, Guardi, Mariah. So it'd be Roaring Moon, yeah. Oh, no, no. Because, like, lost box. Oh, are lost box stuff would all be combined. combined. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll go so. to Limitless. <sighs> on the fly here. See what Limitless says. Lost box, yeah, 7.5%. Then Snorlax stall. And then... Which is, people, yeah, Snorlax go, had go a... To the, go to Pokestats Live for a second. Is there Snorlax stall even on there? Do people just like... I feel like... Dude, what? Pokestats Live is dude, a little less reliable. You know what it I is? Like... It is people play against Snorlax stall in the tournament. Uh, and po for anyone who doesn't know, Pokestats Live is player reported. So what you can do is you play against someone and you re report what deck your opponent had on Pokestats Live. Um, and then it gets that information. That's where the information comes from. But decks aren't shown until day two. Um, so you can report your opponent's playing Charizard, but no one knows they're playing Charizard until day two, and then it would show th that they're playing Charizard. But what ha what's happening here for sure is players are playing against Snorlax Stall, getting beat by Snorlax Stall, and being so pissed that they don't even bother reporting what their opponent was playing on Pokestats Live. <laughs> because who cares? Like, they're just pissed off. They don't want to, like, think about Pokemon anymore. They just get up. They leave. Just lost to Snorlax Stall. I'm not going to report what my opponent's playing. Who cares? And that's why Pokestats Live never has control as a reported deck on there. The only, the only explanation. The only um, logical explanation, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, pretty crazy. I mean, Snorlax Stall did have a great weekend. Cal Connor went nine and zero in day one, ten and zero in round like ten. Did lose to Dan Hugar in round twelve, I believe. Yeah, yeah. or round eleven, I guess. Eleven or twelve, I don't know yeah. which one it was. Um, but yeah, pretty good start for the. The controls and pretty good finishes as well. I guess we take a look at the move into the top eight. Um, just like work our way down. I so I yeah. played the the Charizard, same sixty as Grant, who got fourth. Um, and uh, Caleb got nineteenth. <clears throat> and then we also worked with uh, Grant Shen on this one. Grant ended up getting forty second. Um, and this was as I mean, say, pretty straightforward. This is pretty similar to the list that I posted on YouTube a couple weeks ago. Um, which was just me taking Robin's list and kind of working on it from there. And uh, I mean, there's like nothing. I mean, the big standouts would be we had Justified Vitality Band because we wanted to tech for Mirror Match. And if you play the Justified, you also want to play Vitality Band. So you kind of, they kind of go together, it feels like. 
you either play defiance ban or you play justified vitality um so we want it to be like fully checked out for mirror and then the vitality is good against lostina and <clears throat> ride on and stuff like that so the vitality and also in mirror as well because you can kill the pidgeot on three prize cards yeah. um and like i said we kind of give up on the guardian matchup only one lost city because it's good against lost zone decks to get rid of like their important attackers and it's like really weirdly like it's just situationally good against a lot of weird things um i don't know if it's worth keeping but um and then we had the research iono count the three to one one super rod i guess seven fire is maybe a standout and that definitely feels like it's it like it that is the bare minimum for sure yeah right? i don't think you can go to six fire <laughs> and if anything i wouldn't add an eighth fire to add second super rod i think for sure i go second super That's rod before i went eighth fire because it's pretty easy to find super rod and yeah and you're like you're gonna more naturally draw into one of them which just puts a fire back in your deck if you lost one earlier lost too early um, and then prizing it isn't an issue as well so i think i'd go second super rod before i went eighth fire to be honest um we went with the level balls <clears throat> although it probably should have been a one one split on level ball plus nest ball but level balls feel really really good they find almost all your basic Pokemon, uh, except for the Rotom is like the only thing you'd ever want to put on your bench. Maybe Luminion if you have like four Shield Stone in hand and you like drawn to the Prize next ball naturally. Um, but Level Ball for Charmeleon is just super good because most of the time an S Ball is going to find a Pidgey or find a Manaphy or find a Charmander. So Level Ball also does that. But then when you like have a full board after your VIP passes on the first turn and then you naturally draw into a Level Ball off an Iono or something, you're just like, oh, this is sick. Just gets Charmeleon. It just keeps the flow of Charizards so much uh more consistent and kind of frees up your quick searches for more powerful plays um and we did have a lot of cards in there for the powerful plays like i mentioned justified in the vitality band we also had very heavy on the gust three boss and two counter catchers so a lot of different routes to take when you're ahead or behind to kind of come back or maintain your lead with yeah. all the gust effects um so the gust effects felt really good although uh, i think you could if you're looking for a spot maybe cutting a counter catcher is okay but it feels really good in the the mirror match the, the counter catchers do and like sometimes they're a pretty big deal against Morano as well so there's like more ways to get around bravery charm basically it's like if you can't find the vacuum but you naturally draw to a counter catcher you know you can still get your two prize turn i think some people might look at a list like this with like the three different tools and the three different stadium cards and maybe feel like a little intimidated by the like uh sometimes having too many options like <laughs> it's overwhelming yeah it's like which, which when do how do i know which stadium i'm putting in play this turn uh the, <laughs> the the tools are a little bit more straightforward i guess right yeah um yeah definitely but yeah i mean how no one like, else why is that more problem. valuable than like the you know for example robin schultz list which you base this off of you know he just played the three lost city just solid consistent you know why yeah. what made it in y'all's mind the options that these other stadiums had prevail over the consistency of just keeping three artisan or three lost city, whatever it was. Uh, well, the one lost city is still like really good against can be situationally good against guard war, but the loss of next is like the main reason to play the lost city. Like if you go up against a lost box and they are like a, the sables art, if they lost on one of their sable eye lost on their other sable eye is really good. I mean, you do have Jirachi, of course, but uh, lost on their radiant Charizard or lost yeah, on the roaring the moon, lost on the, sure. the roaring moon or the Tropius or all these other one of Pokemon that they have that they might want to use a second time. Um, so Lost City can cover that to make it harder on them and force them down using only at each attacker once. <clears throat> Collapses just to get rid of Rotom or Luminion throughout the game. Um, and the Lost City is probably the weakest of the stadiums. Uh, actually, we had a uh, this is actually a pretty big deal to be honest. Overall, we had a nest ball and two level balls in there over the artisan. And we were like talking over the list and finalizing it. And then Jishan was just like, Wait, why don't we just play Artisan over an S ball? We're like, yeah, that makes sense. It's a stadium bump. <laughs> and it finds the basic Pokemon. 
Uh, maybe we should have cut a level ball instead, though. Like I said, because one level one nest might be theoretically a little bit better, just to like combo with four seal stone in weird late game situations if you haven't burned it yet. Um, but that's what that ended up being pretty big for specifically the Tina matchup. Like having five ways to bump Pat to the peak is like definitely a huge difference than four. So yeah, um, I think if Tina is going to maintain being a fairly popular deck in the format, which I imagine it will, um, then I think you're going to want the five the five stadium bumps for sure moving forward. Uh, but you could like kind of mix them up a little bit if you wanted to. Um, more artisans, or uh, I don't know, maybe like I could actually see to the point where you get play a third vacuum if Maridon's popular enough. But I don't know. Like this split right here is pretty cool. And then, like I said, the, maybe the Lost City. If like Lost decks become irrelevant, Lost Box decks become irrelevant. Second artisan over the Lost City could be uh, just more consistency. Could be the the switch to make for sure. Was there any just, standout like, really... games for you on your run? You only lost one game in Swiss. You had three ties. Two of those being IDs, so yeah. Really, you um, went 11-1-1. One one. Any standout games to you that were exceptionally close or anything interesting happen? Not that I can remember. Not really, to be honest. It was pretty straightforward. I played against like a... I would hit three Mews, three Maridons, I think, on, yeah. my, uh, on my way up. I think my first round was against Maridon as well. Um, maybe a couple of Lostinas. No Guardies. Uh, a couple of mirror, yeah. I mean, it's like I played against it. I guess the only big deck that I'm missing here is probably Guardi, right? And no loss on deck, I guess I had no loss on besides the Tinas. Uh, but yeah, nothing that stands out really too much, to be honest. Most of my matchups were pretty straightforward. Um, I think I had like a I got like a pretty favorable spread as far as like matchup spreads go. Um, and and yeah, I mean, it was like pretty straightforward. Um, nothing too crazy, nothing too wild. Or I guess like the biggest, the one that the one thing that does stand out to me as I played against um, Colin, uh, was uh, definitely known as a a Mew player, and I knew <laughs> I, like I, I saw a paired against Colin. I was like, okay, cool, a Mew. Uh, but Colin <laughs> played the TMD Evolution and almost got me with it. I oh, <laughs> I actually made a play that turned before where I was like, I can like not overextend, but I I could like extend a little bit further for my quick search to Candy a Charizard, or I could just evolve it to Charmander and like Charmeleon. that's probably also fine. Uh, or Charmeleon, yeah. And I ended up going with the Candy play, and then. On the next turn, Colin was like, TMD Evolution. KO your active Zard that had some damage on it. And then KO the bench Zard. Uh, and I was like, oh, shoot. Uh, but I had my fourth candy, so it wasn't like uh, mm. game ending. <laughs> so, but, I, but if I had evolved to the Charmeleon, then I have an extra candy in the deck to work with. Yeah. Um, and I would be I'd be safe. So that was, the, I guess that's like the one thing that like stands out to me the most. So yeah, Colin was rocking the TMD Evolution, which I wasn't unaware of in the Mew deck. I'd heard people talk about it. I think I maybe hit someone on Ladder who was playing it as well. But it's not something you like, you're like, plan to like it's not something i'm gonna tech or, or make my play based around because the amount of people who are playing tmd evolution in mew is like no one is calling yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, 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 yeah like yeah at the tournament i don't know i don't know how many mews were playing it but it wasn't very many most of the mews were not playing, never so playing around just, it yeah yeah correct to just not play around it until you know they have it kind of situation and then once i knew colin had it that might have been yeah going into game two i was a little bit more pre prepped to to deal with it and then your opponent in the finals was Grant Hayes with his lost Tina deck. Now, I'm not going to lie. There probably was <clears throat> a decent amount of people who were rooting against you in the finals strictly because they thought it would have been <laughs> hilarious. I mean, with that sign that's right behind you <laughs> after, you know, months and months of you calling lost Tina, you know, a mid deck, not that good, bad, even sometimes. Uh, would have been funny to see you lose to it. That's what people would have thought. But ultimately, funny, I mean, yeah. I will say I for what it's worth, for what it's worth as well, Grant, in game one especially, like, you know, 
his deck didn't really work super well, did it? Yeah, and that happens a lot. I mean, it just happens a lot with Tina, where it just has like slow, really slow starts. But it's a comeback deck. Like it is a comeback deck, which happened sure. in game two. Yeah, yeah, it is definitely a big, a big time comeback deck. Um, and I, I like I, I rag on the deck a little bit. I'm obviously feeding into the meme at this point. Um, like I think Tina probably has the the matchup spread with the most amount of close matchups where it's like i like tina literally just doesn't lose to anything like i'd say mew unless you're teching for it is the one matchup where it's like okay i probably don't want to hit mew as tina but against every other matchup you're like okay that's fine i can beat that that's fine i can beat that um overall like my opinion of the deck is that the deck is just not consistent enough to to want to bring to a tournament where it's just like you feel like you can lose to literally anything just because you opened really really slow and i feel like that happens too often with the deck so that's my main gripe with the deck but overall even though i would put it down in like tier three or tier four on a tier list probably tier three um it's only a couple points away it's only a little bit of consistency away from becoming a from being a you know tier two tier one deck in my opinion like it's not it's only a couple points short it's like really close to being what i would consider a top like a top contender for every single tournament um in the tier one tier two category so yeah like that obviously isn't truly terrible and i'm just kind of leaning into the meme a little bit at this point (laughs) yeah Um, i mean we interviewed dan hugar after he won on stream and one of the things he talked about was like the reason he's played tina all season is because when he's playing tina he doesn't feel like he's ever out of a game when the cards are flipped over you know like he always has a chance to win every matchup is is like fine for tina like i said except the mew like the mew matchup i think is the one and if any tina player tells you different yeah, they're lying. Unless they play the Spirit Tomb, I guess. But like, if you don't have Spirit Tomb or Drapion, then you're just kind of getting farmed. Not farmed, but it's pretty bad. Pretty bad against. And them. then probably the most unique thing in top eight was Joseph Nawal with Palkia. We talked about Palkia last week. We said didn't really seem that good. Um, but you know, Joseph's able to to get the win or to get the you know top four finish here with it, which is pretty sick. The question is because we talked about this. <laughs> we we mentioned this with. Uh, Luke's run. So the question is, how many Maridons did Joseph play against? And it wasn't that many. Actually, I'm looking at it right now. Just it wasn't one. actually. Yeah, just one. Uh, played against a lot of Charizards, decent amount of Charizards, a lot of Mew as well, but had the Spirit Tomb in there for the Mew matchup. And even against the Fusion Mew matchup, you might be like, oh, you have the Fusion Energy. But it's very much a tempo, like a KO tempo matchup of Palkia against Mew. So the fact that the Fusion Mew player probably can't commit to a Meloetta on the first turn takes away that potential advantage, right? And the Palkia players, they got cross switchers and stuff, so you can start to chase down those fusioned up Genesects and just knock them out and take away their draw power as well as staying on on uh, on uh, on pace for the prize trade. So yeah, the Mew matchup's pretty good with the Spirit Tomb for the Palkia deck. Um, <clears throat> and then also, uh, I mean, I guess like big reason for, for my run in general was that Joseph did pair into Hale in top cut. And then Grant Hayes paired into uh, Cal Connor um, in top cut, which is like the only other person in top cut who probably could have dealt with the control decks was also was Dan. But if me or Grant had hit a control deck, you know, that's a kind of like a yeah free round for them unless they draw really, really bad. But the control deck's like pretty consistent. Like the control deck is just very consistent. Um, so yeah, the but the Palkia deck, I'm still not sold on it, despite, you know, Joseph's... Uh, top four here i'm still not sold on it overall but it is like you know it's one of those decks where it's like it's not like i don't think it's like tier one or tier two but it's still like it's a meta deck still right like you still could put it on a tier list like if the deck is on a tier list it's pretty good as far as pokemon tcg decks go in the format right 
Sure. Other than stuff like Golden Go and United <laughs> Wings, you know, I'd put it over like something like a cloth. So like, you know, it has something to it for sure. Dang, was it an oversight that I mean this might I don't know. We had cloth on the spreadsheet, but not Palkia. <laughs> was cloth more popular? I think it probably was, right? It, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe day one numbers. I, know, I didn't want cloth on our spreadsheet either, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. On the spreadsheet. we're being thorough, thorough. No, Palkia, yeah, there's no there's no cloth here. There's the Palkia though. <laughs> it was one percent, so yeah. Yeah, I, I think having either of them on the spreadsheet probably wasn't worth it, but um yeah. Probably not worth it to have either there. Um, and then next up is Cal Connor. You know, we mentioned he had the crazy 11 uh, or 10 0 start. Um, Might have been 11 Made it into Top Cut with the Snorlax. Also, Hale Olbernolte with mm-hmm. the Pidgeot Control Snorlax. Two kind of different lists here. Um, I think I also mentioned with that as well. Liam Halliburton was 10th. Yeah. Um, had, had 35 points. There's two yeah. people with 35 points who did make cut. Uh, and Liam was also playing the Pidgeot build. So Pidgeot control definitely showed up. I feel like the only person we've really seen rock this continuously is Alessandro. Yeah. Um, Cremasoli. Um, and now we're seeing it uh, pop up from a couple more players and get some like pretty strong finishes. Cremasoli, I think, was usually selling around like top 64 with the deck. Um, hadn't really had like a really strong showing with the deck. But now we see here, you know, it's getting a strong showing here. And it definitely is contention. Like, do you go with the Pidgeot build or do you go with uh um do you go with the Pidgeot build or do you go with the non-Pidgeot build? That's kind of the question. I don't actually know the true strengths of the Pidgeot build. Um, but I, I would imagine it has a little bit more versatile of a matchup spread, but at the cost of uh, what is it, three rare candy and then two Pidgey, two Pidgeot. If we're looking at the list that made top eight, so yeah. Um yeah, is that worth the is that worth the consistency cut for the like the early game consistency cut? And then once you get online, quick search is pretty sick, right? Of course, yeah. Yeah, Hale also unfortunately was um a product of one of the saddest <laughs> uh <laughs> variance things that I think we've ever seen on live stream. I find yeah, Rahul's tweet here, he tweeted about it. The most tragic Peonia. Hale plays three rare candy, uses Peonia. Had three rare candy prize, and he takes the three prize cards that are not the rare candies. What Yikes. the heck? Yeah, that's holy cow. That's kind of crazy to be honest. Like maybe one of the lowest, maybe that might be the lowest odds play we've ever seen on stream. That probably yeah, I is. Think Isaiah was trying to do the numbers at dinner and came up with like point oh oh two or something like that. I think it was one more. I think it was like zero 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 two. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. This maybe this probably is the lowest odds play ever seen on stream for the Pokemon TCG. It'd be pretty hard to beat, to be honest. It's kind of insane that this was the. Uh... <laughs> uh, we see like Gantner replied in the tweet. This is the this is the point where I'm wondering if I left my rare candies at the table last game. I've definitely <laughs> had those games before, where it's like game one, I I go to check my prize cards and something that I like is pretty important or like multiple of it is prized, and I like okay, and I go into game two, I don't like even confirm that it was prized, and then game two, I like prize the same thing again, and I'm just like, is it in my deck? Like I question that for a second. You're Did like, I leave something behind. Yeah, am I playing the correct list here? Like, what is going on? Um, I've had that happen a couple times before. But yeah, it always is just prized. And in this situation, the rare candies were just prized. That really sucks. So you play Peonia like for this reason, and then it's like you check, and you're like, well, I mean, you could Peonia again, um, but like that's like a whole nother turn away. But I feel it's a pretty big deal for control when you're trying to stop them from taking. I didn't even yeah, know this only has two blocks Norlax. 
Oh, I didn't know that either. Wow. Is this, yeah. Is this Liam's list or is this Hale? Is this Hale? is Hale. Yeah, that's that's not that many. That's kind of crazy. Yeah, I mean, I guess he's leaning on like his other options. I mean, Pidgeot like it's got 280 HP, right? Like it's gonna eat it's not going to eat like everything, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not going anywhere for a little while. But I, I didn't even really, I didn't realize, I haven't really looked at these lists yet. Um, to be honest, so or not too in depth. But yeah, I realized that. Is this this is Hale? So yeah, Hale had this the Mawile as well. And the Defiance with the band. Defiance Vest. Yeah, the Defiance Vest is cool, uh, but it's, it's. I mean, I, I guess Mawile has other purposes. Um, the big standout, like playing the Pidgeot, is your attack does 120 damage, and you play double turbos, and then you have Lost City, so you can Lost City Minior, um, which is pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, and Mawile is also Mawile plus the Fine Span is also really good against Minior. So there's like a couple ways for this list to deal with Minior. Um, but I'm sure the Mawile Mawile the Fine Fest is probably just good against a lot of stuff. As yeah, well, yeah. Though. That's what I was gonna say. Yeah, I think the Fine Fest is just really good in the deck in general. I'm actually surprised there's not as much people playing the Fine Fest as. Or there's less people than the Fines Fest, and there there should be more people in the Fines Fest. That's what I'm trying to get to here. There should be more. <laughs> I checked Liam's list as well. Liam only has three blocks. Snorlax does not play the Mawile or the Defiance Fest, but um, yeah, I mean, I think we'll probably see more people gravitate towards the Pidgeot build. I feel like I feel like that's what we're going to see. Yeah, I mean, forward. it'd be hard to argue with these results, right? I mean, even though Cal had the great run, um, did get ended by the Giratina, but. Is still going to be pretty good against. I think Tina. I don't think Pidgeot changes too much in the Tina no. matchup. Like I think you're still getting. Like Tina's still going to be a hard matchup no matter what. Yeah. Got the Pidgeot. Don't got the Pidgeot. Tina's coming. But then through. now, are we in kind of a cycle? You know, you you always talk about the Decidueye cycle from back in the day, right? Of like yeah. people playing counters to Decidueye or not in their decks and online tournaments. Uh, are we in kind of a similar cycle here with Snorlax? Are like people now for Portland going to like have all these crazy texts, like the Miniors and the stuff like that? Or does it even this, matter because like this beats the counters, you know? I mean, this beats Minior. Um, I don't know what other counters there could be. I'm sure there's other counters where there's other counters that make you care a little bit less. But this this list beats Minior, right? So you're already kind of Tekken naturally beating Minior. Um, and as far as like the cycle goes, I mean, I thought Pidgey Control was like not a very good play for this tournament um overall um but there was like no loss zone like i was expecting loss zone to show up a little bit more and kind of uh give the control decks a tough time but honestly i don't even know if that's like that bad of a matchup for control i just like have not played with control at all so but the, the lost tina matchup is definitely one where it's like pretty yeah. tough can't do uh, much also the, the mew matchup is kind of tough as well the mew and mew was pretty popular at this one i don't know if we're gonna see mew really boasting the same numbers at portland so yeah to be honest like thinking about it Pidgeot build, you're beating the mini or and people have to get a little bit more creative with their tech cards to be controlled going into Portland. That's for sure. I don't think it's going to be just play a mini or you need to need a little bit more than that for sure. But yeah, control could be pretty well positioned actually for Portland with the Pidgeot build. And the other thing to talk about here from top eight is definitely Nick Robinson's turbo Mirai on deck. The turbo build, the peony build. It was pretty absent from um what's the most recent tournament besides this one stuttgart like it was kind of there was like the the new way to play the deck and discovered going to stuttgart um pretty absent from the results at stuttgart mariah didn't do that well over there in general but all the top the the top performing lists were the path uh path build research path um but i think maybe maybe we can like kind of point that out as being like well the build was kind of getting discovered as stuttgart was about to happen were people really going to drop their path builds yeah you know or the peony build when the peony build was getting discovered like a week before the tournament, probably not. So then it makes more sense that it was more popular and the more successful build of Mariah on here, or the most successful. I don't know if it was more successful overall or how we'd even kind of scale that. But now looking at the results, the 11th place list was also 
a peony build. So yeah, moving forward, maybe the peony build kind of takes over. Um, because playing path is like a little bit less valuable because you don't really need it as guardy against guardy as much anymore. Because just like hitting them with hands is enough to beat them now. Um, and doing that more consistently with like the peony build, which I feel like it does, is probably better. And your Charizard matchup, having the path doesn't help your Charizard matchup that much either, especially yeah. if you're playing like five stadium bumps now. So um yeah, I think we I mean that could be the way that we see Mariah kind of develop from here is just to be this. I mean, in looking impressive. at Nick's numbers here as well, he went 12, 3, and 1 in the tournament through top eight. Yep. And his three losses were Charizard, Charizard, Charizard. We talked, I was talking mentioned about the, the Rapid Strike matchup. I was like, it doesn't feel as bad for Mariah. I mean, we see yeah, that's he three dubs. Rapid strike. Yeah. Um, and I think a big part of that is the Muse, like I mentioned. And he, like um uh, Nick did play the double turbo energy, which allows you to be able to like set up the Mew in one turn with a Flaffy, um, or just more easily get to that play as the game develops. So, yeah, the matchup honestly just doesn't seem that bad anymore between having Mew for sure and then hands early on hands and getting that extra prize card or two. It's going to be a pretty big difference. So, I mean, that makes it tough. Honestly, just kind of like theoretically, if Rapid Strike's not beating Maridon, <laughs> you better hope you better hope you there's a lot of Charizard at the tournament because that's like one of your last few good matchups. And then speaking of the rapid strike, that is what bubbled out. I mean, it's not really a bubble out, right? Because 35 wasn't. It, there was a like lot 50, of 35s, 50, but yeah. <laughs> Landon Kettler here, ninth place with the rapid, the rapid strike. Which did line up to be a pretty good play for the tournament overall. It's got a good Charizard matchup, but the Charizard's not taken for it. We did see some people playing like the Tool Jammers. I was personally testing the Serena beforehand, but I, I didn't play enough to be super confident in it, where I felt like, okay, this is a, it is good against rapid strike. The Serena is, Radiant Serena. Um, but I don't know if it's worth including because the matchup is really tough for Charizard. People doing like I don't know about this little stuff, guy but... in the deck though. Yeah, I'm not sure about that either. I mean, it's for Valiant, Iron Valiant, Entei. But I, I in that matchup, from what I played in that matchup, you just don't even want to bench Remoraid. You just don't even want to give it to them. You just want to go like two, three, three. Well, is it because you're playing the sixty HP Remoraids? No, just because you don't want to give them the one prizer. I yeah. just want to give them the one prizer because they can like cheese a KO on like an Inteleon V. They go KO one project KO three prizer, but you could just go two three three against them with some Intellions and Urshifus, and that usually feels pretty comfortable. But sure. it's not like I've, a, a matchup I've overly tested. Um, but yeah, Rapid Strike ended up being like kind of a iffy deck. I guess we could like mention that, like as far as our me and my group's spreadsheet goes, Rapid Strike actually won our spreadsheet. But I really wanted to play Charizard because I was like just theorizing how I thought the meta would shape up. I was like, I think Moridon's going to be super popular. I think Guardi's not going to be as popular because people know that. Maridon's really good against Guardi. Charizard's good against Maridon. Kind of sounds good for like Charizard. And I was like, well, we still know Rapid Strike's going to be pretty popular. Um, so that's like kind of the iffy part of like potentially playing Charizard at the tournament. It was like Rapid Strike's a tough matchup. If we think Rapid Strike's that good, I'll, other people are going to think Rapid Strike's that good as well, right? So it's like it's going to be pretty popular. This is like the most popular it's ever been as well. Was this tournament? And that was our prediction. That's what we knew for sure. This is going to be the time that Rapid Strike was the most popular it's ever been, and that was true. Um, but honestly, um, I mean, the matchup's not terrible. Um, and I think our record overall, I don't even know if any of us lost to a rapid strike. I'm pretty sure we won or tied. Um, not that that's how the matchup should always go. I think it's definitely probably unfavorable for Charizard if you don't have text. But um, we were able to, like, get away with that matchup overall across our spread, I think, um, for us. Caleb was undefeated, bro. Yeah, sure. He had six ties, though. <laughs> six ties. <laughs> six ties. I don't know if... Uh... I mean, yeah, we call it, you can call it undefeated, but it's not the undefeated you want. <laughs> it's not undefeated. It doesn't. Yeah. That is not the undefeated you're looking for. Um, good enough for 19th place. That's about it, though. <laughs> uh, 
But uh, but yeah, I think I mean Ravishrak moving forward, I'm a little bit iffy on it to be honest. Because if your if your Murata matchup really isn't like favorable, then I'm not a huge fan of Rapid Strike. I think I think you want that matchup to be favorable. But I guess if Charger's popular enough, maybe that makes up for it, right? So and then if we go down into the top 32, I mean there was five Mew in top 32, three fusion strike builds, and then yeah, two double Mew. turbo Mew builds. One of them, Christian Labella with the crushing hammers, Andrew Hedrick <laughs> with kind of just the more straightforward build that we're used to seeing, I think, here, just like kind of max well, consistency. There was no grabber, no luxury. I feel like we're usually DT. Oh, you're right. Them. This is like before is, Grabber yeah. came out, what we would have been used to seeing, right? Yeah, literally just as straightforward as it can like can possibly get. This is like Pablo's list from uh uh EUIC last year, right? Like it's like that yep. back to that type of build. Pretty much, yeah. That's like yeah, it doesn't get more straightforward than that for sure. <clears throat> uh but yeah, Mew overall, like I think had a pretty good tournament. Yeah. Just, I think the Charizards kind of kept it out of top cut overall. Yeah, it was definitely like interesting because like if the Mews if the Charizard just got dealt with earlier by Rapid Strike and Control, and then the Muse kind of beat Rapid Strike and Control, it could like kind of flip flop, right? So it was like, it's like one of those things where it's like, um, yeah, if like a couple of different decks are just different in Top Cut, it could be like very easy for a deck to get all the way through to the finals. The only thing that can like consistently deal with all of it though is Lost Tina, right? So like we're probably always seeing Dan and Grant uh haze in top cut and it's just like okay what do they have to deal with to be honest like sure. looking at the top cut and like how things could have broken down differently between wh what do the charizards get paired up against what do the mute players get paired up against what do the rapid strike players get paired against what do the control players get paired against um to be honest the deck that can always come out on top is tina and like still be there um question is are you actually going to set up or are you going <laughs> to draw pass that's like the the big question there of course for the the lost tina but like i said earlier it has like the best or the closest matchup spread not the best because it doesn't really like 80 20 anything. You're kind of like 50 15 or slightly favored, slightly unfavored everything. So that is the advantage of playing the deck, I guess. You get to you get to be, you get to play, like you don't get to be in every game, but you don't feel terrible no matter what your opponent flips over besides you. Any other big standouts here in day two you want to talk about a little bit? I don't think so. I think it was most, I mean, it's like mostly like all meta decks. Lugia, there was a Lugia. Like Geisler. Yeah, Geisler with the, <laughs> with the Lugia. Uh, cool build as well, has the Shaman in there um as a as a response to charizard double hands um so yeah has the has a lugia in there lugia is pretty cool um uh but i don't think it's like anything it's not like oh it's like oh it's not like something where i like this like, make lugia a, a viable play right yeah i even like talked to alec throughout the tournament uh and he was just like bro i don't have time to test i played lugia <laughs> like <laughs> i don't even think he's super he's not even super confident in the deck he's just like you know i didn't have a ton of time so i rolled up with the lug <laughs> um i'm sure if he had more time it sounds like definitely if he had more time he would have probably played a different deck but he was like for the time i got going lug um we scroll down a little bit further or further actually matthew stratford with an interesting arceus deck i think i saw he was on stream oh okay that's where i saw something about it. i was either on twitter or something but uh arceus v star Gigas v star his um, brother as well so they're two in top 64 oh really yep oh i didn't know I didn't know they were brothers. I thought they just both had the same last name. I'm just kind of assuming, you know. It's a pretty good guess. Same, same sixty, and same yeah. last name. It's a good guess. It's a good guess. I thought <laughs> I thought I saw like a meme on Twitter where it was just like both of them in the same picture, but I thought it was because they both had the last name Stratford. Apparently, they are also brothers. Because <laughs> um, I played against Nathan a couple times now, I think. Um, uh, but yeah, cool build. Uh, with the Regigigas. Uh, the only thing when I look at this, it's like, like you. Uh, 
I want to use Regigigas' V-Star attack, but I feel like yeah. we're using Starburst so often. Is it just the 300 HP, 230? Is that what we're getting out well, of this Regigigas? Well, you can bench Regigigas V after you take one prize against Charizard, and then it can't get Gust KO'd unless they um, play Defiance Band. Interesting. So is that it? That's what came up in our stream game, if I'm remembering oh. right. You do have Zacian V in here as well, though, so that's going to reduce the chance that you need to use Starbirth because it'll accelerate that extra energy yes. out turn one. Yes. Um, so that'll like reduce the chance that you need to use Starbirth to like get into the attack with Arceus, I guess. So that's kind of cool. It probably um, is matchup dependent as well, where this is utilized. Like it's probably not as good against something like Charizard. Yeah, Ready Gigas' V Star attack is just so or V Star power is just so good. If your opponent has exactly one prize card, you get to choose one of your opponent's bench Pokemon and they discard it. So you can like make some it's like a card that I always theorize is like a crazy comeback card, but it never really happened. But there was like a point where like Oh, who'd I hit? I hit Henry Brand on ladder with a Lost Zone Regigigas V-Star deck. <laughs> yeah, we had a cool. guy on stream at one point last season with a Lost Zone Regigigas V-Star deck. Broken, man. I don't know. Maybe there's something there. Maybe there's something there. Yeah, maybe um, someday. I mean, this card will be around for a little while longer. Dude, I'm actually so excited for rotation. It's so far away, but I think the game is going to, like... I feel like every set release recently, the game has felt really fresh and new. Uh, maybe it's just Paradox Rift, actually, to be honest. I forget it was before Paradox Rift. Obsidian, it was just the Charizard set. Yeah, never mind. So literally, it's just Paradox <laughs> Rift, but Paradox Rift felt, has felt really good so far. It has. So it makes you really excited for... Um, I mean, Shining Treasures isn't going to really do anything. It makes you really excited for Rotation, I guess, and the new set with Rotation, I guess, as well. Yeah, I don't know. Pokemon just feels really exciting right now. I feel like Iron Hands, it's literally did the exact opposite of what Jake Gearhart predicted. False Prophet. Um, <laughs> literally, Jake Gearhart solely hyped up Iron Hands, so he could play Deoxys V-Star. We can actually take a look at that, I guess. That'd be something cool to just point out. Uh, yeah, Jake Gearhart uh, played a Deoxys V-Star, which is actually really cool. It's a really cool inclusion, um, but it's only good. No, I'm joking. <laughs> it's only good if you overhype up Iron Hands. No, very good against Iron Hands, though. Uh, a very cool answer to Iron Hands. It's really good against Rapid Strike. Yeah, it's good against... It's just like a, a big Pokemon that hits for reasonable numbers. Whereas like Guardi is usually like all in, right? You're like, I made the shiny Arcana Pokemon that want to kill your Pokemon, but I've got 20 HP left. Um, but yeah, that, that gives you like a mid-range attacker, it feels like, right? Not like a super situational attacker like the Cresselia or the Screamtail, not an all-in attacker like the Zacian or the Gardevoir, something like in between there. So like Guardi already has a wide array of attackers, but now you've got like another one to add to the list. And it's like a really good answer to Iron Hands because for one energy for its V-Star power or V-Star attack, it won a Chaos Iron Hands. It does 280 damage for the energy on yourself plus the four energy that they need to use Ampu very much. So, um, yeah, Jake was just waiting for the moment that Mirada got popular enough to include. The and it can one-hit KO an Intellium VMAX. Yeah, can one-hit KO an Intellium VMAX. That's what uh, Alex Wilson was telling me happened to him. He played against Jake, and he said his, <laughs> his Intellium did not make it. <laughs> <laughs> did not survive. Um, yeah, another cool tech card in a known archetype. So things are still evolving out there in the meta meta for sure, which is cool yeah. to see. Um, so real quick, I mean, we'll talk about how we think the meta shifts moving forward, but real quick, let's recap our predictions, because as always, we do make some predictions going into the tournament. The first one we made was, will Gardevoir make top eight? Azul said no. I said yes. I had a little bit more faith than maybe I should have because it did not make top eight. Best finishing one was what, like 18th or something? 17th. Like yeah, it didn't even make top 16. That I was actually, I wouldn't have predicted that though. I would have predicted at least one in top 16, to be honest. Yeah. 17th, 16th, you know, that's basically the same thing. Uh, 17th, 25th. Only 18th. separated by $1,000. Yeah, three in the top 32. And then. Or in the top 64? Yeah, sheesh. 
Charizardy was not doing numbers at this one, despite like Charizard being so popular, right? And also Mew being very popular as well. I definitely um, would favor Gardevoir in both of those matchups. But the Rapid Strike can be tough to deal with for sure. Our next prediction was, what will the sixth most popular yeah, deck be on day one? I said Mew, Azul said Urshifu, and it was Lost Ooh. Tina. Now, Azul, close, you could make an argument was closer because Rapid Strike was seventh, so it was close, and Mew yeah. was third. But yeah. Chip's going to make the argument Mew was actually on the graphic, so therefore... <laughs> no, you can make the argument that Mew was closer percentage-wise to... Oh, than was it? Was. Yeah. What was oh, because RGV was six, 6.5. Yeah, oh, yeah, so 0.7. Dude, it's crazy that there's there's four. This this chart is look is feels like an anomaly to me. 18.788. Like, that just feels so weird. Yeah, um, because I don't feel like I feel like Charizard is established as a should be top. Like, this, this, this feels right for Charizard. It doesn't feel like Maridon should, they can't both be. 18 and 70 percent one it's so favored for charizard in the matchup that just feels <laughs> like why is marad on 17 percent marad is just like the fun like hands, solid. it's bro, just a hands. good deck as well it like it's very consistent right another thing i'll actually say about this event that was kind of funny actually that just came to mind here is uh people learned dude i lost a lot of coin flips in this tournament i've rarely won the coin flip which is fine i'm not complaining um because your opponents were choosing to go first well, no, no, no. I, I lost the coin. Like, they won the coin flip, and then they also chose to go second. So the advantage that oh. I had in Toronto did not exist in this tournament at all. I think every opponent I played against chose second, except for one person second-guessed themselves. They chose second, and I beat them in game one, and they're like, okay, I'm going to try and go first this time. And I was like, well, okay, I'm fine with that. <laughs> like, go ahead. <laughs> That's what I wanted. That's what I wanted. So one person second-guessed their choice, but everyone else, I'm pretty sure, chose second against me, which is the correct call. Um, so, yeah, a lot of people learned... It is. It feels like overall, I think more matchups you go second than first. To be honest, like it's a go second meta. It feels like, yeah. And then our last prediction. Yeah, I don't know what I was thinking with this one, but it was what will the highest placing quaff be? Good old quaff. <laughs> I was feeling something. <laughs> I don't know what Azul said. The highest placing quaff would be top sixty-four. I said top eight. I was feeling it for the people but unfortunately neither jason mass nor bernie wright was feeling it for the people because they were the only two cloth players in day two and they finished 182nd and 186th respectively yeah i thought after like it it's kind of been more established as like a, a cool meme rogue deck um which is like which is definitely a deck that a lot of people gravitate towards as like the deck they want to play at a tournament um, just have some fun with like a not terrible deck. Like the cloth can definitely take wins off top decks, right? Um, but like obviously you're not like you're not showing up with cloth and being like I'm top eight in this tournament, right? You're showing up with cloth and being like, you know, I'm gonna do the best that I can. I'm playing a cool deck. Um, Dude, Jason. By the way, if you're listening to this as well, Azul did play Jason Mass, who made day two yeah. on stream in round uh, eight. Round eight, they yeah. were six zero and one, and Jason had a very decent chance to win game number two uh game if two he fun. goes turn two ko your rotom like he just wins the prize trade like basically always and there's not much as we can do about it yeah like the prize trade he didn't get never, it but, yeah did not get it <laughs> he was, was close though he was like one combo card away yeah i was just missing the the booster capsule but and he had to discard one at the start of the turn yeah so it didn't quite pull it off thankfully for me <laughs> um yeah, yeah imagine a losing to cloth on stream that would have been embarrassing 
<laughs> but I feel like almost as embarrassing deck... as missing a vitality band KO for win guaranteed in game one of the finals. I did it on purpose. It made my tweets that much more hilarious. That was like <laughs> the whole... <laughs> it's all for it the... all for the content. All for... It's always for the content. Um, but yeah, I feel like Cloth is one of those decks where it fits that category of like one getting top 64 is reasonable. But yeah, they did not have a good show. They had a pretty good show at Stuttgart, right? There was like two in top 64, four total in day two. Yeah, Cloth's had a pretty off tournament, I feel like, for the San Antonio. Not that we expected to like win or have a chance to win the tournament, but... I thought top 64 is a reasonable bet, but maybe you got to be predicting that top 128 for the cloth from here on out. I don't know. Well, if people in these last couple weeks of the year heading into Portland are playing in their cups, their locals, whatever, or as people, I guess, are starting to prepare for Portland, how do we expect the meta overall to shift based on these results? Um, For one, I just want to say, I think every single Charizard deck will and probably should play justified gloves in it. Yeah. Otherwise, you're instantly is... going to be at a disadvantage in the mirror. Yeah, definitely rock the justified. I think if we look at that, if you pull up the day one uh, chart one more time and we just look at that and like talk about from there, like Charger is going to be the most popular deck in general. Of course, locally stuff is weird. You're going to have to figure that out on your own. Because of that, Maridon shouldn't be as popular or has to like tech more heavily for the Charizard matchup. Sure. Maybe go back to the path build. Are we looking at four path now? I don't know. More Bravery Charms. Uh, figure something out. You need a tech card for the matchup, or you should play the build in a way that it beats it, or just play the peony build and then just hope you don't play against Charizard, or you just kind of run over them. It is possible to run over them. Um, choose second, choose second in the matchup as well. Um, so yeah, Charizard is definitely gonna be the most looked at deck right now to be potentially played and also just be kind of countered as well. But I think, um, yeah, Maridon probably shouldn't be as popular moving forward, which makes room for Guardvor, right? Hands down, Guardvor up, Charizard up, good for Guardvor. Um, and I think Lost Tina. I think we're going to see a lot, a lot more Lost Tina. And maybe it is deserved. Maybe I'm a little bit too harsh on it. I definitely, I'm in that mood. I'm in that mode where I'm like, I got to revisit Lost Tina. I got to try it out one more time uh, and see if it's, see if it is a deck that I, you know, want to consider moving forward. So I think I'm going to pick up Lost Tina between now and Portland and give it one more shot for sure. Well, Until rotation hits, and I'll give it another shot then. But. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that is going to do it for our episode this week. Thanks a bunch, everyone, as always, for listening and supporting us. If you want to show that support, the best way to do it is to just drop us a like, leave a comment, subscribe, follow the channels, all those things. And, uh, yeah, let us know what you thought of this week's episode in San Antonio. And tell Azul congratulations in the comments. If you made it to the end, (laughs) drop a comment on the YouTube video and say congratulations, Azul. And that's how we know you made it all the way to the hour and 53-minute mark. Almost other two hours for this one. That's going to be crazy. Yeah, appreciate the support as always. Uh, catch you all next week, Wednesday at 7, was it 7 a.m. Eastern, right? Yep, same thing it has been for 88 episodes. Yeah, 7 a.m. <laughs> on Wednesday. Yeah, 7 a.m. Yeah, Eastern yeah. on Wednesday. Uh, good luck on anyone going to locals, and we'll see some of y'all in the bonus episode on Patreon. <laughs>